Who is that? Helen, I came for you. Do I know you? No. No. But you doubted me. I'm sorry, I have to go. No need to leave yet. But I'm late. You are not content with the stories, so I was obliged to come. Be my victim. Be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week yours truly, Nathan Rouse, along with co-host Reed Lackey, discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. As mentioned, speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is, yes, longtime chum Reed Lackey. And well, usually Reed Lackey, I do like to refer to him by his full name when I can. He and I chat during a recording day, but You know, guys, all I've heard from him today was a mysterious text that said, believe in me, be my victim, which is, I don't know, super weird, even by Reed Lackey standards. That said, in the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our big series for the year. What scares us slash what saves us a series defined by you. You've been submitting your stories of films and media that instilled or stoked a certain fearful imagining in you. And we are covering those on the show. If you're new to the show, you can find all you could ever need or want about us at the fear of God podcast.com. You can even find a photo of our guest today holding her fear of God mug. That's right. Today we have a very <laughs> special friend joining us. She is a personal friend of mine who submitted today's what scares us. And I thought, why not have her on to relive one of the scariest movie memories she's ever had together. So please welcome to the show, Jess officially just welcome hey how are you All doing right. Nathan? i'm good i'm good i'm glad to have you here this is gonna be oh fun. man long time listener first time caller exactly exactly you know <laughs> we're getting a lot of those these days so jess we're gonna get to your what scares us in due time but i do 
have a question for you just to just to get started um, while it's just us. And that is, yeah. Jess, have you seen Ted Lasso? I don't have Apple Plus. What? I know. I you want to. Get on that. Friend, <laughs> I've read about it. Because I, I thought you I had watched and it. I, totally. I know because I'm a fan, even though I have not yeah. watched it. Well, get your free trial and <laughs> okay. watch you some Ted Lasso. Because knowing you like I do, you will absolutely love it. But you know what? You have a peer in this regard because you know who else hasn't seen Ted Lasso. And that oh. is Reed Lackey. Nathan. Nathan, what, what, a, what, 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 what is Nathan, happening? Nathan, yes? you, you doubted me. Oh, no. So I was obliged to come and tell you. Yeah. Dude, I've seen Ted Lasso. Hey. <laughs> I've seen Ted. I've seen Ted what? Lasso. Be my what? goldfish. Be, be be my goldfish. Yes, yes. yes. I have seen Ted Lasso. Well, I'm I glad. Have. I'm glad. Yes. We'll we'll have to talk about that at some I, point. Oh, absolutely. Hi, Jess. It's hey, nice, to meet, nice you. to meet you. I know this is great. It's weird when you listen to a podcast because I'm like, I know you, Reed. Like, don't you know me too? I know. It's like, come on, we've been friends for years. What's What's really funny about you saying that, Jess, is sometimes I'll be listening to our podcast, like if it's a Tuesday, I'm like, oh, time to queue it up because I listen to it as well, and so I'll be listening to it in the car, and Reed will call, and I'll answer the phone. I'm like, hey, man, I'm listening to you. What do you need? You know, like. <laughs> what like oh no <laughs> don't don't stop listening to me uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, please <laughs> i am in the middle of listening to you what's the deal um so wonderful reed you've watched ted lasso we'll have to get to that oh, in due time but speaking of time I reed have. it's business time and oh yeah uh, i do know there's a real specific business time you want to address yes so we've been covering the witcher for the last few Indeed. uh episodes and or it's been covering us i don't know <laughs> a little bit of both so <laughs> it's uh uh it is it is like burning inside of me also the fact that you know as we sort of started the year i kept delivering what you're watching reading and listening to or you know in my parlance really just what you're reading that was right. really yeah, just yeah, yeah. over and over and over again yeah so i was beginning to sort of feel the weight of oh my gosh i'm i'm encountering so many stuff i'm, I'm books movies tv shows everything and uh, there's just not enough time to talk about all the watches so i was like wait a second brilliant idea what you we thinking? have a website we have a, yeah what you thinking <laughs> so um we have a website and i was like oh i wonder if i could you know like maybe just drop oh say on wednesdays after a release episode hmm. uh maybe maybe make it like a watch a wednesday or something just a little little piece being like hey you know here's here's what you're watching or what you're reading or what you're listening to so you think that you think that'd be okay could i, I drop mean, something tomorrow I'm fine if you would like to drop something tomorrow. I okay, mean, awesome. Yeah, we've got a website for it where we have also had some afterthoughts. That's and, a good point. You know, those are really great. And I'm sure yeah. the one Jess has not committed to yet that she might consider <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> composing for us. Uh, it's going to be great, too. And watch a Wednesday. I'm down for it. Yeah, watch a Wednesday. So, you know, so, um, like it. so, 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe tune in to the website tomorrow to hear my thoughts about the films Arctic and Stowaway specifically. Huh. So I won't announce it every now, single time, you, but yes. Because I've not seen either of those and have mm. frankly not heard of either of those. Is there a connecting tissue to the two of those movies? They are the same director. Okay. There is also some thematic connecting tissue, but primarily that they're the director's first two films. And I watched them the same day, which I'll unpack in my. So what I do blurb. need dear friend is for watch a Wednesday to be Wednesday just because sure. You know, okay. Okay. Yes. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's right. Let's, you know, timeliness when you name it, the thing. It's, yeah. It yeah. 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 Are you, are you implying I should get it to you maybe tonight so that you can mm. post it, post it tomorrow? Well, I mean, sure. In sure. recording okay. time. Yes. In, in <laughs> recording release time. Yes. You mean in broadcast a, time, a weird space time continuum like event horizon. Um, yeah, yeah, that okay. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it's going to turn out a little better than that did. <laughs> so, sure, so I'll get that. So, yeah, listeners, check check that out. So, yeah, watch your Wednesdays are forthcoming because, like Reed said, we've been uh, we've been watching Witcher and now we're gonna have watch your Wednesdays. Oh, goodness, <laughs> watch a Witcher. Um, Whoa, <laughs> watches are going to be a bit on hold for even the next month or so, as is. So, watch your Wednesdays will be a good avenue to yeah. learn what you're doing yeah, um exactly so that's business time now we've got a guest and we do uh uh i don't know if you heard just thank you um <laughs> for being here <laughs> like no oh, I just, absolutely i just tripped and fell in these headphones and here i am <laughs> um so jess you and i are friends and have been for some time our kids went to various schools together that's a lot of fun um but I don't know exactly how you stumbled into the the genre of horror, as it were. And so I will toss to you what we tend to toss the direction of all of our first time guests and kind of in either order, intertwine them, however you wish to address this um, questions we like to throw to folks. One, is there a significant piece of media art film book whatever from your kind of younger years or adult years that sort of turns you on to the horror genre beyond what we're talking about today so maybe sure. think outside out of that box and then so so speak to kind of maybe more broadly what got you into it what was the gateway drug for you as it were and then secondly to that um and go as existential and and heartfelt or as silly as you want what scares you like what okay. is the thing that scares you? So feel in either order, feel free to address those questions. Okay. Okay. So first one, like getting into the horror genre, I just, I think it is, you fall into it as a kid, right? Like I would never say as a, I think Reed kid. cannonballed into it. Like falling. Yeah. yeah that he might be the, yes, I dove. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is a story I'd love to hear more about, by the way, <laughs> but we'll just save that for listeners choice day. Um, I remember just being drawn. It's like the whole watching, like, you know, like during the day I'm tough, I can take it. And then at night being just completely decimated, which my first um, entry was cat's eye, uh, mm -hmm. Stephen King's. Um, and I just remember, and it, Oh my gosh. Like my, me and my younger it's brother, great. we would watch it during the day. We weren't supposed to. And we're like, we got this. We got this. I mean, we were pretty young. We were probably like eight. I was probably eight or nine and he was like six or seven. And I mean, 
totally inappropriate older brother babysitter you know so um i just remember that night like we shared a room and we're just like oh my gosh like just waiting for the hole to open up and the troll to come out oh my gosh, and just troll. like that was the only one i don't remember any of the other vignettes but it was that troll mm-hmm. like with the little knife um <laughs> so i wouldn't say i liked it but like it was always wanting to always drawn to it and mm-hmm. You know, I think your podcast drew me in because I grew up definitely in a form of faith that was terrifying in a lot of ways. Like when I think of faith and fear coming together, I'm like, yeah, like a lot of my most youngest scary memories are like hellfire brimstone sermons, you know, as like a five-year-old. So that felt like a natural. So I don't know if that's where some of the, yeah, drawn in, but like in high school years, like we loved it. You know what I mean? Like slumber parties, like Halloween one, Halloween two. Like I just have very distinct memories of um, those movies and just wanting to talk about a lot of them, but not necessarily see them. So, like honestly, this podcast was made for me because that's awesome. <laughs> do you remember um, Faces of Death? Oh yeah. Oh my God. That was the, yeah. But that I mean, was like, that, the un, was, that was the unmenshinable thing. Yes. Like, or, yeah. Cause wasn't it, it was like supposedly like you couldn't find it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you I had to find this beat up VHS. Like, yeah. I'm so glad this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I just remember that being such a big deal in high school. Like in no way did I want to watch it, but like sure. the aura and the talking about it, like I just loved it. And I just have these different memories of seeing, and I'm a spaz. I mean, Nathan knows, like I am on edge all the well, time I thought anyway. I should have you on, you know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, this would be perfect. Makes for good radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was also people love to have me in the room because at the right moment, they hit me in the side and I would like lose it, which completely seven, the end of seven with the mm. Box. Yeah, hitting oh the side in, in yeah. a theater. I Ooh. like lost it. Like, oh my god, screamed. You know, it was. Well, great. what's really so. funny about you mentioning Seven is you you referenced the slumber party and whatnot. I remember being in high school, and I I had always had a a flirtation with the genre, but being with a group of friends who really would not have categorized themselves as fans and we had rented seven and I was like, I'm kind of digging this, but y'all seem really freaked <laughs> out, you know? <laughs> totally. Totally. So I think, you know, and then, um, I wouldn't say I would ever even then been like, yeah, I'm a horror fan. Cause I think it was just always like, it was fun. Sure. It was the more fun to be scared. I certainly uh-huh. wasn't taking notes on directors, mm. like not sure. anything yeah. like that. And then it's funny. I remember at one point, my husband's name is Dave. I'm going to re- reference his name a lot. Um, we were watching something and we both like jumped and it wasn't even, I think it was an episode of house. And we were both like, you know what? We've got kids now. Like we don't need to be scared for entertainment. Like life yeah. is scary enough. You know, so yeah. it's kind of funny. Like, I feel true like story. I haven't watched a lot, but then, uh, Nathan's wife told me about your um, podcast and I was like, oh man, this sounds like fun. <laughs> and I'm like looking through the movies. I'm like, oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. You know, I mean, I love M. Night Shyamalan, like all mm, of yeah. that. I mean, that's definitely a little Philly hometown pride. Not going to lie. Like, awesome. you awesome. know, I would have a friend who, you know, she's like, I, I saw him in the Gennardis. He's like in the dairy section. <laughs> I don't know if it was legit, but this was before and you're like, like, was it just a camera phones? <laughs> but it was like, 
oh my gosh, like we need to go at once, you know? He was in the dairy section, but he was buying meat. It was a twist. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> twist <laughs> wow nice one read love it you know, so i think that's been a lot of it and then my daughter who is 18 now like she kind of started watching stuff and then it was fun to kind of watch things together especially over quarantine um and she really enjoys a lot of it and we're kind of on the same level like not so much slasher sure. more thriller and then i've also i've loved all of your book kind of stuff like um mm. i mean you had the lottery like i totally yeah, remember yeah. that book i mean we probably read it in like ninth grade and it yeah. always stuck with me um so i think i've just always been very just drawn to the dark side i don't know what sure. else to, I mean, sure. <laughs> to sure. you're in good you're in good company it's <laughs> really funny I, I, I don't know if you've got more to say about the what scares you idea i would encourage that but i did want to throw in yeah. um you you threw out a note a minute ago that I think, I think intuitively I've kind of understood about what we do at the show, but the way you articulated it really drove home just this notion that what we do here is for those detoxing from more regimented, scary faith expressions. And I think yeah. that's really fascinating um, that it's kind of a, an off ramp from that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, don't uh, downplay what you're providing, if that makes sense, mm. or the gift that you're giving people because um i mean it's real like faith and fear and i just grew up where it was very much like there's nothing to be gained out of pop culture mm-hmm. and you know that was just always like gosh you showed them haven't you yeah. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> there's a lot of people that don't like me <laughs> well you know we here give it love up. You, so, you know but yeah but um i just i have really really appreciated it like you guys have been oh, a solace during quarantine like well, thank you. I'm telling you kind two-hour podcasts and long runs <laughs> it's great like meanwhile we're like oh god two hours again man <laughs> ain't nobody gonna like, listen to us yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> meanwhile yeah. jess is like just chugging along no she's like i oh. want the three-hour version <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna listen perfect. to a complete conversation it's just you time. get lost in it it's yeah. awesome that's it's awesome, awesome. Oh, that's so kind of you to say thank you yeah thank no you i really mean much. it appreciate um, that. do you have a thought I do. On okay yes please What's i have you? a good one because i love that you also bring in enneagram every now and mm, again so mm, i'm a right. six nice okay. oh Remind so us what a when six you is. ask me about fears i'm like friend i've got my notebook let me oh. just go ahead <laughs> <laughs> so I brought it down to one because it really fits because it comes up a lot and it is both practical and existential. Okay. I don't mm. know if I just said that right, but it's the fear of being trapped mm. just mm. in general. So like practically I have this very vivid memory of like going to visit a camp. My kids were going to go to, and it was like, we're going to the lake. It's kind of far. Let's get in this 15 passenger van. And somehow I'm in the back row. I'm getting pushed more to the corner and I'm like, get me out. Like I cannot be in the back corner of that back row of a 15. Like I can't, I can't do it. Anything like that, like any kind of trapped feeling. And then it just grows larger. And just, I always feel like I need to be able to leave wherever I am. Mm. Like just any situation, like exits, just having a car available like 
my daughter going to college, you know, it's like obscene the amount of money you have to spend to have a car on campus. But I'm like, I'll pay for it. Like, I know you need a car just in case you need to leave. Mm -hmm. And she's a lot like me. And she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's okay. (laughs) We'll make it happen. I get it. So just being trapped, which is really funny because I was just listening to your Pitcher episode mm. and your friend. I'm sorry, I forget Blake. his name. Yeah, Blake. yes, yeah. The, the open spaces. Yeah, and I'm uh, like, oh it's man, like I love open spaces. Yeah. You're like, hey, no, no like, trap. Give me an open here. space. Escape <laughs> routes for miles. See 360 degrees. Um, <laughs> now, did you watch that movie? No, but, but it's funny. I got my Vizart shirt. I on. saw that. I was going to point that out. Reach. He's got a Vizart <laughs> shirt on. Hey, which is where I, I should- rented that from. I looked them up. It really made me sad that I'm on the other side of the country because, man, no. like it, it's it sounds awesome. Well, you telling me about the nonprofit, Nathan, and everything like it just. Yeah, ah, they've yeah. really they're awesome. That sounds great. Yeah, because there's lots of obscure <clears throat> stuff out there that is really, to, you know, not to completely divert us for too long, but it's really becoming a substantial conversation yep. right now about how many things are moving to streaming mm. and streaming involves licensing and it also involves um, there, there's a real growing concern now that, you know, Samsung has discontinued their Blu-ray and DVD players. They will no longer be making really? Blu-ray oh, wow. and DVD players. Huh, um, I didn't know that. And, and so, like, I mean, Sony's still in the game and a couple of other players are still in the game. I think Vizio and stuff like that. I don't know if Vizio just makes TVs or whatever. But regardless, there's a real debate right now about like, well, everything's moving to streaming. People don't want physical media anymore. But what that does is you are at the behest of the licensing of it. Like even if you purchase it digitally, you still, there's still like you've purchased a license to it. And if that platform loses the license, right. yeah. you don't physically own the copy anymore. You yeah. can't access it anymore. And there was a real conversation that's been happening about what about the films that for whatever reason people decide we this is not going to be streamed anymore it's it's not going to be available anymore and what if those parameters then force people to like like we'll use the hitcher as an example because that's on the table yeah. what if somebody down the road deems it's too taboo it's it's mm-hmm. too for whatever reason and so it, we are now going to expunge it from all mm. sort of platforms unless you have a physical media copy of it you won't be able to find it right. you yeah. like at all and so that's why just, just ideologically, I really appreciate that a place like Bizart Video exists, and and that idea. It's why I've been a huge advocate and fan of like your public library and stuff like that because they don't, they're not going to yeah. get anywhere close to that. But they're going to have you know physical copies sometimes of some old obscure stuff, foreign stuff, um, rare stuff, independent stuff, and so um, I, I really am getting back into that thing. I love the streaming giant. I'm, I'm a big Netflix advocate and everything, but. Um, but I, I am sort of feeling the weight of there's going to be some things that I'm going to want to make sure I yeah. own a copy of uh, for whatever reason that it, you know if I want to revisit it I'm able to. Maybe so just yeah, move to Charlotte. That's, you know, I mean, no, that's, come on, solves a couple of problems. So yeah, that's <laughs> in my mind. You're going to Carolina. Um, <laughs> awesome. Like that. Uh, uh, Jess, did you have anything else you wanted to share as far as the? Okay. Nope, that is pretty much it. I mean, I'll just. I'm sure all my other fears will filter in okay. through the yeah, evening. Yeah, yeah. So that's how, that's how it works. So <laughs> it'll it'll make sense. So so you answered question one of your gateway drug. You answered question two of uh, your your own personal fears. Question three would simply be: Tell me what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. Excellent, excellent. 
awesome. thank you for that island family um so yes what you watching what you're reading what you're listening to um reed do you want to kick us off i'll kick us off yeah um so obviously i'm gonna you know be be sharing my thoughts on what your wednesdays you know for for the next little bit so so <clears throat> on pod i'll mention a book that i finished not too long ago obviously following the this is going to be a little bit heavy but it won't be won't be too heavy um so f- obviously following the global pandemic um there was a rise due f- to a number of different factors um to a rise in um asian american hate crimes asian Amer- american discrimination and um that's that's been a rising sort of conversation in this discussion about racial justice which is very frequently and rightfully so I'm sure this film will open up some conversations as well um, uh, when we get to it um, between particularly like, you know, black people and white people. But Asian American, the, the, that conversation seems to be kind of um, trying to find its way into the appropriate sort of structure. Um, and there's a book by Kathy Park Hong, who's a um, laudable poet. Uh, and the book is called Minor Feelings. It's a sequence of reasonably self-contained essays. So they are connected by a theme of the Asian American experience, but each essay is sort of compartmentalized into itself. So you could conceivably read the book as a collection of short stories or a collection of essays, which it is, or you could read it beginning to end. I read it beginning to end. Um, I was profoundly moved by her command of language, her honesty, both about herself and her experiences. Um, it was a a painful book in the sense of coming to terms with with experiences beyond what I would comprehend and what I would have to struggle with um, in the best kind of hurting to, you know, sort of give me an, a better understanding of what might be experienced beyond my own front door. Um, I cannot more highly recommend to anybody who I'm sure there are other books out there. I have not stumbled upon them yet. Um, anybody who is interested in sort of, I, I want to understand more about the the traumas, the the difficulties, and the ongoing importance of this conversation about how we reconcile not only our history with our black brothers and sisters, but also with Asian Americans, and make make room and uh, make sure that we are you know, acti- actively fighting towards justice for them as well. I recommend Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Its subheading is An Asian American Reckoning. And it was a, a powerful book uh, that I can't recommend enough. I devoured it in like two days. It just, I couldn't put it down. It was really, really affecting. So that's my, that's my watch it for today. Very cool. Jess, what you got? So is this completely faux pas? I'm going to name another podcast. That's well, not, that's that happens every now Okay, okay. What if I you're mean, like, usually what if you're like, I was different. listening to this podcast with these dudes. It's about faith and horror. You guys would love it. <laughs> you know, I mean, really I'll, I'll say, but <laughs> no. And I think what can get it through us, I think of it as a radio show first. Mm. I mean, I've been listening for years. Snap Judgment. Mm. Are either of you familiar Ooh. with Snap Judgment? It's no, out of WNYC. It. Okay. Um, and I've, I mean, it's been on at least 10 years, if not more. I had started listening to it because This American Life, um, which that's my favorite long running I've listened to since about 2000. Um, but Snap Judgment, storytelling with a beat is what he, the man who uh, 
hosts it. His name is Glenn Washington. Hmm. And it's just a great fit for this crew because he also kind of grew up in some kind of, I mean, I'm not sure what it was like if, if it was a cult or if it was Hmm. just again, kind of a end times type form of Christianity. And he's also a black man. And so he (laughs) talks a lot about how his family was like one of the only black families in this church, but it just kind of works in, and it's just kind of stories and they typically involve, you have to make a, a decision. Like someone has to make a decision. It's similar to this American life in that it's like someone telling a story and that mm. sort of thing. That podcast alone is pretty awesome. Snap judgment. And the one episode in particular uh, goes back and explains faces of death. Whoa. Oh, it is wow. so good. It's funny. I heard it like a year ago. All right. Now the two of you both references the- now and I, I acted like I understood. So, okay. what is so without ruining it, because I'll post this episode, it's like 40 mm-hmm. minutes, but it in high school, this is what I had heard. There's this movie where like literally people die. Like it's real. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not made up. It's real. Like a guy As on an electric chair. You were told this chair. or you're telling me this I now? was, this is, the, I mean, this is what I'm told by okay, seven year old boys. Okay. So, you know, do with sure. that what you will. But it was like, you know, the guy got electrocuted. They're like mm-hmm. eating monkeys brains. Like the yeah. monkey comes out on the table. I mean, like just like what else do you remember? It was like an autopsy or not an autopsy, but like a brain yeah. surgery. I don't there know. Was like, a, so a lot of the. Yeah. And so it's basically just a parade of <laughs> yeah. actual like, like scene after mm. scene of, okay. su- yeah. of people dying of death of real death. Yeah. yeah. I mean. I don't know who would be watching and it was this a besides show high or it was a movie or it was a, a movie, movie about 90 and it was long. supposedly like illegal in like gotcha. 50 countries gotcha. or yeah, banned. It was, yeah, it was banned. It was banned like around but the globe. But it was in yeah. our blockbuster. <laughs> you know? It was crazy. That's yeah, why blockbuster went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there were other So factors. anyway, right. they have this story, the guy who made it. And I'm just not going to ruin it because, of course, he's a character. And yeah. then they have a story of two women who had a teacher that made the entire class watch it. What? In 10th grade. Seriously. So oh, I'm not going to ruin so it. It is such a fascinating and all of them are like good so yeah within this podcast i just have to say they have a little spin-off called <clears throat> spooked and oh, it's just okay. basically like ghost stories and people can oh my god submit them you know and That's- they're just good like it's so i think you can just subscribe to the spooked but i you know what i mean that's way yeah. too technical for me i just <laughs> <laughs> deal with that later i just listen here and there but like i just heard one that was um about a skinwalker it was this man who grew up like he's native american on the reservation and just kind of gives so it's like it's history i mean you know and i'm assuming these people are telling the truth this whole thing isn't made up but like sure who knows but it is wow. good like i have to be in the right mood i'm not listening to this in the dark like sure. i will wow. not be able to sleep like it just it's it's good stuff. Guys. It's like cat's eye all over again. Awesome, awesome, uh, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, snap judgment, spooked. Yeah. Major feelings. What was your book called? Uh, the exact opposite. Minor, minor feelings. feelings. Right. right. <laughs> um, I, I knew it was one or the other. I was, it was like, a, it was either major or minor. It. I just don't know. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, uh, what I'm going to throw out, y'all, y'all got real. Um, you know, intellectual like with your book and your your thoughtful podcast. 
my watcher right now is my family recently on our Friday night family movie night enjoyed Netflix's recent release, the Mitchells versus the machines, um, which very cutely features a Rihanna song uh, that when my (laughs) four-year-old asks for it in the car, she goes, we play Hila he Hila ha. (laughs) You kind of have to (laughs) see it to know, but anyway, Mitchells versus the machines uh, is great. Actually. Um, I can often be as Reed knows a bit of a hard sell with, with the pop culture stuff and it's like oh, okay we'll, we'll check it out um but uh it has played probably i don't know 20 times in our home in the last <laughs> few weeks and it's it's incredibly uh heartwarming it's it's quite hysterical in places uh the animation it's from the same uh kind of studio that did spider-verse so it's got some of that similar <laughs> kind of manic energy to the animation style um and just yeah I, I every now and then i throw out something hey i watched this or i read this with with minimal energy behind it but this is an excellent film if you haven't watched it kids or not like it's a really fun movie yes um yeah. My yeah, son you, I, I know you saw it right reed yeah i did uh it was actually my wife was getting together with a friend of hers and uh so my son and i had just a boys night just hanging out we popped some popcorn i was like yeah i want to check this movie out loved it i mean it is like it's one of those like sort of special films that comes along that like nathan said like it pushes every button it is eye-popping animation just like there's, there's always something interesting to watch on screen it's thoughtful um it it has some things on its mind that never gets you know severely heavy-handed but that you can tell there's some intentionality to it um it is hysterical it's very heartwarming and moving um just pushes every button like it would be it would be hard pressed i think to find somebody who like severely didn't like it like it's it's really something something special i I loved it yeah it's, it's really funny i've got a co-worker who can speak rather highly of sometimes mediocre Mm. material mm. and so it, this movie released on a friday night on monday when i saw him he's like oh have you seen it it's great i'm like oh, okay <laughs> okay wait, a classic wait, not sure yeah exactly <laughs> it's a classic so i take that with a little bit of a tiny piece of salt and but in the subsequent two or three days uh my brother referenced it another <laughs> peer referenced it like have you watched it yet and no oh, it's really great so, uh, okay it's I'll, I'll check this out now so yeah it's definitely uh, definitely worth the time. Um, so Mitchell's versus the machines, minor feelings and snap judgment. I got it right that time. That's been Good another job. installment of. Good job. But you watching, watching, what you reading, what you reading, what you listening to on Wednesday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I think we've, I think we've, um, we can't really hold off any longer. Right. Sweets to the sweets time. Yeah. Sweets. So, okay. So, um, in a moment, I have something that, that is kind of fun that I'd like to do. But, um, we're talking today. I don't, uh, other than the up top joke referencing thing, the little bit that we did, um, I don't know if we've specifically said that we are going to be talking about Bernard Rose's. Uh, film Candyman, uh, based on a story by Clive Barker. Um, so, Jess, this was your "What Scares Us" submission um, that we're going to be diving into this time. And I, I got to tell you, 
You're coming out of the gate strong because you have rectified an error at the Fear of God podcast. You have rectified a long-standing <laughs> error because in Sorry. nearly five years of podcasting about faith and horror, today is our first conversation about a work by Clive Barker, who is one of, in the horror landscape, one of the uh, sort of it, religion and religious imagery and horror is on his mind in every single thing mm. he writes. And so it is a bit of a travesty that it has taken us this long to get to covering anything by Clive Barker. So you have swooped in, you have rectified a mistake. Here we are kicking down the door with Candyman, uh, which is actually a film he did. He's directed a couple of things. This was actually a film he didn't direct, but it is based on um, his story, his imagination changed pretty strongly from the original material, but still the core story um, and some of the core themes uh, are, are still present. But um, so, yeah, the first thing that I want to do before I get into like my little sort of mindset and everything is I, I want to hand it over to you and just like, uh, you know, what's what was your experience with this movie? Uh, tell us what prompted you to want to have us cover it. Just uh, tell us your history with any or all of that. OK, so good old candy, man. <laughs> so this is random. It's. So Candyman was 1992. It was released. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I can't say I like really remember like anything, like certainly not like, oh, I want to go see it. Probably scared, you know, sort of thing. Uh, 1995, summer of 1995, after I graduated high school, um, I just remember I had a friend who grew up in Scotland and her cousin would always come and hang out in the summer and, you know, drama whatever mm. we end up all hanging out it's just funny because i feel like the whole night goes into the movie so it's just it was a weird night and um she was obsessed this girl from scotland with seeing the exorcist huh. because it was banned in the uk huh. mm. and we were kind of like why like we just were like it's old like we just you know because like i said we weren't like true horror fans we were just like we don't really want to see the exorcist that's weird so we took her to the old blockbuster and um candy (laughs) man was there we're like no this will be better let's get candy man and it was just three girls um and we had gone back to watch it at my friend from high school her name is tara and she had just gotten a house. Like we had literally just Mm. graduated from high school and, you know, with like two other roommates, some different kids, she knew. Um, And like, you know what an 18 year old can afford. It was, it's a little terrifying just in general, like this place. I mean, you know, looking back, it wasn't bad, but at the time it was just kind of like, I feel like there were some bare light bulbs hanging. (laughs) So it was like, so literally like that first kind of opening with the movie when his voice that deep kind of gravelly Mm. voice and the like the mirrors i mean mirrors again here let's add it to the fear mirrors like they're just kind of terrifying (laughs) terrifying and i just remember being like oh crap like this is gonna be really scary Mm. and I remember like we just like did I did not want to leave to go to the bathroom. I feel like I had to like go to the bathroom the entire time I was there, but I was like, I there's no way. 
Somebody cover no the way. mirror. Somebody cover I the mirror. I'm not getting up and going to the bathroom right. alone in this house while we're watching this movie. And then I just remember like having to go to leave and like go to my car. And it was like kind of across a courtyard. And I'm like, I'm I'm dead. Like there's <laughs> no way. There's no way this is gonna end like any other way. So that movie is really, really stuck out in my mind. And it just, I think it was the jump scares, you know. I mean, I think it was a scary movie, but like when you asked me then, like, do you want to come on? And I was like, literally, I can't really remember the story. Like, I mm. just remember it as being terrifying and his voice and then the premise of saying his name five times, which as kids, again, we were always like sure. Bloody Mary. Like, that yeah. was such yeah. mm-hmm. a big deal when we were mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. This was a, a blend of actually, you mentioned Bloody Mary. The Candyman mythos is kind of like an amalgam of Bloody Mary, who would you, which you would have to say, her name into a mirror yep. to, to conjure her. And then also the other probably most popular urgent urban legend about the lovers parked in the car and the hook on the door from some escaped, you know, uh, an escaped lunatic who is like, you know, kills people with a hook. So Candyman is kind of like in some ways a blend of those kinds of uh, urban legends. That's, that that's really, really fascinating. Um, Nathan, you had never, I know you were familiar with Candyman, but you'd never seen it before, right? This was your first time seeing it. It was. I mean, it was. Her, her, her. It was yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you, yes. The answer to the question you answered is yes. Um, yes. You watched the movie we're talking about today. Indeed, indeed, it happened. Good job, buddy. It happened, um, and I stayed awake, um, which is is a challenge these days. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't have any super distinct memory of of the you know kind of the era in which it would have released of course just being a movie person like i am i was just aware tony todd scary movie Mm -hmm. uh uh, say his name five times kind of thing that's about the sum of my knowledge um and then you know perhaps it'll get referenced later or not but the the documentary film horror noir uh Mm -hmm. refreshed my sort of mind to it when I watched that, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, I really, and in fact, to the film's credit, um, I was kind of prepped for a pretty straightforward, just kind of slasher, but with mm. kind of uh, uh, an African-American in that lead role kind of film, like a, a pretty straightforward as far as that goes. So as the story starts revealing itself, when I was watching it two nights ago, I was like, Oh, this is actually a lot more interesting of a narrative than I sort of was planning for. And that's always fun yeah. to, to have that experience uh, when something rises above even the expectations you might've put on it. So no, th- this was the first time I'd ever watched it in, in, in full at all. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a film that has lodged in my memory ever since the first time I saw it, I was probably, again, I didn't, I didn't see it in a theater because I was probably, 12 years old when it came out maybe even only 11 but i did see it relatively quickly after it hit the video store i believe i was actively trying to search my memory Mm. banks and i think this is the first piece of material uh, a a video that i had or it's the first film adaptation by clive barker i had read clive barker before but this was the first of his material that i had seen in film form i hadn't made it to hellraiser yet um and 
And I remember being so kind of arrested by the opening shot and the score. Those <sighs> that opening aerial shot, which was somewhat inventive at the time because <laughs> they were able to get high enough off the ground without having like uh, a rattling from the helicopter. It was almost like a, you know, an aerial steady cam of just this real smooth shot, almost like you would get from a drone today, but this was, you know, 30 years ago. So, um, but I remember that shot with Philip glasses, just unbelievable score that lovely, but kind of haunting little piano, you know, that like, and I remember that moment, sort of arrested me and then as the film progressed the character of Candyman, and particularly uh you know helen's character as well like th there was something about it that just sort of sat in my gut as a as a kind of an unsettled thing mm -hmm. i was drawn to it i was captivated by it but i was uh but i was also kind of didn't quite know what to make of it um and that would i'll use that to just sort of glance off my feelings about clive barker in general because the first time that i read clive barker um he is so fascinated as so as an individual, Clive Barker. Uh, he he has professed in many interviews that he believes in God, um, and uh, and is you know completely captivated by religious imagery, but it, it does not subscribe to any organized religion. Like would not call himself a Christian or, or really of any sort of organized religion in that way, but is utterly fascinated and uh, like religious imagery is present in all of his works uh, to some degree or another. Um, to the degree he is so fascinated by the blend of the sacred and profane that when I read him, I was, I felt like I was doing something wrong by reading him. Like it was, <laughs> uh, it was such that blend. And I was still, you know, Jess, you talked about your upbringing and everything. And it's like, I was still very much in that mindset at the time that I encountered him where I was like, Oh, I don't know. You know I, I'm not quite sure if this is okay. Um, and, uh, and as I've grown older, um, particularly as I've become more acclimated to certain things, I view his material in a vastly different light. I'm, I'm, I don't love every book that he's ever done. Some of them are just far too lengthy and kind of uh, too grandiose for my tastes, but particularly his shorter works like this, this is based on a short story called the forbidden. And um, his works are, are really, really captivating to me. Um, one last sort of anecdote about Candyman before I'd like pivot into kind of a fun little game is I used to work for the Virgin Megastore in uh, Burbank. And uh, I will tell this story that one evening, uh, Tony Todd himself came into the store. The man, no. he's a giant. He is like six five, six six. I can't remember. His other, but he is small so fellery, tall. So. I don't need your commentary, <laughs> Nathan. <laughs> so I'm just saying proportionately it's gonna it, feel it, that it, way well of course it did Doesn't but i mean he's he's legit like he's yeah, like yeah. he's like tall but um he came in and it was late in an evening like through the oh, week no. i can't remember if it was like a wednesday or a thursday but he came was in. he wearing fur no but god what do we imagine right so um there were so few people in the store and we had the this we had this toy this todd mcfarlane toy we had it on the discount rack like it was like two bucks and so i went and i was like okay hang on tony todd is in the store right now i went ran grabbed that thing bought it two bucks still use my employee discount because come on because <laughs> come on so but it's like a buck 80 now <laughs> so i bought that thing and the man signed it the That's man awesome. signed it for That's me, awesome. and and I can attest to you know, given the five minute conversation we had, he was just uncommonly sweet, just like 
like one of those individuals that you meet that I'm just like, oh my God, you're like, you're just, you're just an overwhelmingly kind person. He was just, it was just very, you know, friendly, was not off put at all by the fact that I wanted to sign something. He seemed very sort of eager to make a fan happy and, and was just very sort of, um, you know, benevolent and gregarious that way. And, and so that was really great. And that caused me to sort of, uh, want to revisit the, the films in general, sort of reacclimate to them. Um, and this is, this is a film I love. It's a film that, um, that I really, I still cannot quite get to the bottom of everything that I enjoy about it. I certainly can't get to the bottom of everything that it has on its mind, but, uh, but it's a film I really love. The sequels, sequels, not so much. The sequels are, are, they, they sort of lose a lot of the thoughtfulness and the commentary and just go for the guts and the gore, which if you're into that thing and you like this character, you probably have fun. But, um, but if you're into it more for the philosophical and intellectual elements, you might find those pretty severely lacking from from that point on. Um, but I have this little game that I keep talking about. So I don't know if this game will will carry over into other things, but I just thought this was fun because of all these different things. Um, I don't have a really pithy, clever title. I'm just going to call this Fun or Done. Okay. And so what we're about to do is I'm going to mention an aspect of filming, only two or three little subjects, but I'm going to mention an aspect of filming, and you both will be tasked with telling me if you think this was fun for the crew or just something they had to survive, just something they had to get done. Okay. So you, you gotta, you gotta tell me. Sweet if or sour. Basically. Well, see, I thought about sweet or sour, but then I was <laughs> the bees thing, but then yeah, sour didn't really true. fit with the bees. Yeah, so so right. anyway, so, um, okay. So first thing is I'm going to keep trying fi- <laughs> filming in the legitimately dilapidated rundown, mm. uh, housing project of Cabrini green. Do you think that was fun or you think that was just something they had to get through? Fun or done? <sighs> yeah. Did Nathan say fun with like a question mark? Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Jess, how about you? What do you say? What's oh, man. You're going to get. So I just feel like Cabrini Green is its own conversation. Oh. I kind of feel like I can't give a okay. one word on that one. Okay. All right. I know. I'm so, being really, but like, no, yeah, okay. I have a lot it's of right. thoughts on that. Okay. So I'm going to vote that. I'm going to, I'm going to vote that. That none. one was. That's what Jess's called. <laughs> none. Fun, done, or none. So, no, that was, that was done. Okay. It was actually very nerve wracking for everybody involved because there were real gang members there that they had to pay off to protect sure. the crew. There were real gang members in the film. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they had police snipers nearby just in case things go south. So, uh, yeah, it was actually pretty nerve wracking for them. They just had to get through it. And even still, like in, in afterwards interviews and stuff like that, they talk about like, yeah, that was helpful to sort of get in the mindset. But holy cow, that was the real deal. And no, that was not a pleasant experience sort of being in that place. That place is uh, that project is now like torn down. They've demolished it now. Um, yeah, I do, they, I do have a question. So, yeah, uh, you can I'm going to. I'm going to throw this out. It's not a philosophical question. It's a technical question. Sure. Um, you can tell me, hey, let me get to my, my game. But <laughs> it feels like this is a moment to ask it because I didn't know where else it might be. Sure. So I got confused a little bit in watching the movie. And then I don't know if I was reading something because I, I, I did absorb a little bit of material today. Is the impression and the reason I'm bringing this up now is we're talking about Cabrini Green, at least briefly, and the the sort of gang activity there yeah is the narrative of the story that the real guy who shows up and and accosts helen who calls himself Candyman, the person not the entity right mm-hmm. it wasn't until after that a new comprehension of that 
through line was revealed to me. And what I mean by that is what I read was positing. It's, it's when she turns in the gang Candyman yes. that the real Candyman comes into play because he's basically saying you've, you've undermined what I'm doing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cause that yeah. maybe I just, maybe it was the first time viewing and I was just taking it all in. I didn't totally comprehend that in the moment. It made a lot sure. of sense when I read mm -hmm. it. I was like, Oh, mm -hmm. that actually is pretty cool. And, and, and yeah. puzzle pieces, the narrative really well. So anyway, well, because yeah, oh, to, well, real. to, to further substantiate that, let's like, you know, the little opening bit that I did at the beginning is that like, basically everybody's kind of been driven by this, this myth of Candyman, this rumor of Candyman. But when she fundamentally captures the guy and is like, no, it's just a made up story like Dracula <clears throat> Frankenstein, which is kind of ironic because both of those stories are loosely based on, on, uh, real sort of situations and so it's like okay so that kind of situation uh, she's demythologized him and so that forces in the narrative of this movie the actual figure of Candyman right. to okay. emerge and to it's a silly comparison so I won't linger on it long but uh, think Freddy versus Jason where people have forgotten Freddy's power and so he has to call Jason back to get people to start talking about him again because he gets his power from but the in fear. this analogy the gang Candyman is Jason yes right right yeah and he's so, sort of enforcing the myth yes and 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 I, I guess to to, to clarify the death of Ruthie May or I think that was her name mm. uh, so deaths preceding gang Candyman are gang Candyman am I to understand that that's my take on it. Okay. Maybe there's other interpretations. That's how I sort of read it yeah. once I once I scanned that material. Didn't mean to derail us totally. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, highly, highly relevant to the conversation. But it's like, yeah, it's so um, my interpretation of it is that fundamentally there have been a lot of deaths and murders there that were happened by perfectly, you know, non-supernatural occurrences. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, it's all sort of. But, in the, but in the pretext of Candyman. Right. Kind of exactly. Idea. Okay. And that right. now that they've sort of solved that mystery, or at least this element of that mystery, now the the myth takes right. on form. You know, and that might come back up as we get into some of my sort of thematic contemplations. But okay, back to fun done or none. So, um, all right. So, what about uh, filming with all those bees? Filming with oh, all gosh. those bees yeah, all no. over that. Is that fun done? What What is that? Well, I would say done. Okay. Except for, I mean, I've I've read about Tony Todd getting a thousand dollars for every sting. Yeah. He got twenty three stings he, too. Like, stings, he's like, I had a great lawyer. Wait, <laughs> and I just have to throw in this one hilarious thing because you said Freddy versus Jason. Did yeah. you read that Tony Todd got approached to do Candyman versus Leprechaun, and yes. he was like, "Hell no, no you're not wow. doing that to my right. character." Well, because wow. it would be too, far stupid. too candy. Right. Because the two sequels, like, objectively. would be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito <laughs> playing twins. You know? like, it's like, what? what? <laughs> like, yeah, what? That ain't right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like the thing is, uh, is uh, the two sequels, objective quality aside, they're played straight. Like, they're not tongue in cheek you know they're played right. as legit sequels um whether or not you know they succeed as films is another conversation but yeah he's like no that me versus leprechaun good god like no i did hear about that so nathan i, I so she said done what do you say for filming all those bees i i, I can't uh, uh done so you're a nun none. None. No, i'm done. a done i'm a done i'm a done okay. <laughs> no thank you it was fun it was fun because here's what Virginia Madsen said. She said, what's weird about it is she said, you would think it'd be creepy, 
but they have hair. And so yeah, because like they have like tickle. they have fur. So she's like, it's like little a bunch of little Q-tips moving mm. around your face. And it's kind mm. of like relaxing. And you I mean, if you want to pay like, me 23 grand, you know, right? you just get like plus, real zen yeah, plus my actor's thing. fee. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, he did say I did read where he was talking about the mouth. Oh, the mouth guard, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that he that he went into like a trance state almost oh, just because because they had to prep yeah. for like I don't know thirty minutes before they could even start shooting. That's, yeah, uh, I thought you like, were asking was it none or, or fun or done to us? Like, would that be fun or done to you? Oh no, I mean, was that's it what to I'm them? saying. Okay, no, like, okay. oh no, no. Was well, the it, game sorry, is at I, this point whatever we want it to be in our interpretation. That's a good point. <laughs> like, that's a good point. Um, okay, so last last one that I've got is just uh, generally like filming the Candyman scenes. Was that uh, fun or done? Just filming the scenes that Candyman fun. is in. I'm gonna okay. say fun. Fun, yeah, fun, fun. Okay, so here's Madsen's uh, sort of answer. Working with Tony Todd, super fun. She has nothing but praise for the guy. Which, again, having only briefly met him, I can understand why. And pretty much nobody, uh, you know, like has a bad thing to say about Tony Todd. He's a legend in the horror industry. But they really hypnotized her a couple of times. Yeah, well, like, that was jacked up. Yeah, and yeah, they like really hypnotized her. Some of the shots in the film. She doesn't remember filming because they really hypnotized her to the degree that she got so upset and disturbed by those things that she refused to let the director do it again. Yeah, it's like yeah, really drag, really drag up. It's a little. (laughs) So it's and and it was really funny. She told the story too about how like that one big scare when Candyman shoves his arm through the medicine cabinet thing. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell her that they were going to do that. So they didn't tell me either. No, (laughs) crap my pants. You know, yeah, and so Tony Todd, they had to, they had to like convince him to do it. He almost refused to do it. Almost went and told her all about it because he oh, was man. so like considerate of like not wanting to upset her and not wanting to like you know take advantage of it. They finally convinced him to do that one thing. And they said after it was done, he came over and was just like super apologetic and was like, he's like, he's so like stroking sorry. her hair with his hook. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh god, <laughs> I'm done. No. Okay, can't take it. I'm done. Uh, I'm done. None. All right. So, so that was my little, I was just like, I see these yeah. trivial bits. And as I was mo- moving through the trivial bits, I was like, man, the things that I think might be kind of interesting, they were like, oh God, no. And the things that I think would just be like, no, there's no way. They were like, oh no, it's kind of nice. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So that was, that was this edition, perhaps exclusive and solitary of fun or done. So fun, fun done, done or none. Done. Fun, done, none. Cinnamon bun. That's so, um, so, Woo! uh, do you, Nathan? Read. I want to give us opportunity uh, as the conversation progresses to just, you know, talk about any sort of technical things or anything like that. But I just, I just have to know kind of where we are. If it's time for that ain't right. 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 And I, I'm, I'm down. I'm yeah. down. So yes. Does Jess know how to play? Have you told Jess knows how to play? Ladies, she listened, she listened to Hitcher. She gets it. So uh, for the listeners at home for whom they're like, what is this new bit? This is fun or done. I'm done. Um, yes. Instead of just itemizing our scares list, we have each ranked them to ourselves. And we're going to start with our guest uh, and go through the top three. Uh, that ain't right moments from the 1992 film. Candyman. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That ain't right. Okay. I'm going right. to, what you got? I'm gonna, yes. This is, this is the classic. That ain't right. I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent though. And okay, do it. tell okay. some little this stories. So you. you're, you're, right. you're hearing a lot about my past. So part of this is also I've had a lot of jobs in the service industry I've worked okay. at. 
Starbucks, Caribou, Target, different things like that, where you have to deal with public bathrooms. Like something happens. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> this ain't right. And it's just, <laughs> it always happens on a Sunday evening. You can't mm. get a plumber. I mean, Ooh. you know, and then I also, I was an AmeriCorps volunteer for two years with Habitat for Humanity. So I worked construction. I feel like to leave that up. If I just say I work construction, <laughs> it's just going to be like, oh, <laughs> so porta potties, you know, it just, I mean, I don't, I don't know how familiar or how many job sites you've been on, but yeah, you just, you see poo in a lot of interesting <laughs> places. Like, oh, and so my, that ain't right. I knew oh. it was going to happen. And I mean, it's a fear of mine. As soon oh. as they went in the bathroom, yeah. when the kid, when Jake yeah. was telling Helen about the story and they went to open the stall, Mm-mm. I was like, no, please, please don't show us that they're oh, really, God. and like, I was not even worried about the bees. <laughs> right, right. Because oh, did you see else. the em- enormous pile oh, they had? Yeah. Right oh, there. Mm, and yeah. so, I mean, I just, that ain't right, guys. Like, we <laughs> don't right. need to know. It like, right. it ain't right. Yeah. So that was, was and it's I freaking, just, oh, go, no, yeah. you go ahead, Jess. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, just, I mean, I'm just having a moment. Just, you are. Yeah. That bathroom, as soon as they opened that door, I was like, oh, oh no. Oh, no. no. That'll, that'll ruin <laughs> it for you. That'll it's going it to happen. I know it. They're, cool. they're, there are some are of the most grisly images in this film, and you're like, "Don't go in the public bathroom." <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Well, because like the freaking like, it's on the wall. Like uh, it's written yeah. on. It's written on the wall. In it, sweet. It's for the sweet. And it's like sheets. Oh my. Sheet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I almost called. I almost called the game sweet or she. Oh. <laughs> But, but I did. Go with it. But Reed. I did. Go with your gut. <laughs> but so, uh, I, I didn't oh. have. I don't have the experience. I don't share the experience you have there, Jess. But I went to all the Christian music festivals as a young lad, and at yes. which are all the porta potties. So yes, my oh, yes, you understand porta potties. Yeah, I mean, sounds like yours is, <laughs> is a more harrowing version. But yes, yeah, same same idea. Um, I did not have the level uh, of a visceral response that you did, but that. That is not right. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> right. Nathan, um, why don't you go? I will. You know what? You will you? I got my. I was asterisking stuff because I'd make my list. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> whoa, that was a bunch. That was a bunch. Uh, so, <clears throat> but I'm gonna narrow it down. I'm gonna go off the. If you if you don't say this other one, read. I may throw it in, but the one that had the strongest, like physical response from me um was the death of dr burke um uh, yeah they got me they got yeah. me, they got yeah. me. I, yeah i i i i did not see that coming i leapt yeah um yeah. that was an impressive that ain't right if you if you for some reason haven't seen the movie yet she has been uh uh kind of uh, um, admitted in psychiatric you know sort of ward and has been there a month you learn and we view her and she's relatively to her senses and she's trying to convince the kind of head doctor there that this has happened. This is a thing. She says Candyman's name five times. And then the scene just holds and Dr. Burke's like, ah, you, you yeah. ain't right, girl. And then out of nowhere, nope, he gets a, 
He has a hook in the ass. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. And yeah, all the way up. Ooh. Oh, man. It's yeah. just, what is it? Sounds... Groin to gullet? Is that his? Uh... What? Yeah, groin to gullet. That's gullet. It. Oh, That's yeah. his phrase. Oh, groin to gullet. <laughs> yeah. Which is a Shakespeare reference. Yeah, it is. What so is, is sweets it? to the sweet. Okay. Um, yeah, I think they're either i know sweets Ooh, to the sweet is from uh, hamlet i forget then what the other one might be macbeth or uh, that's no. right yeah i think it is okay because i feel i couldn't remember yeah but oh my god yeah that moment but you have both mentioned like the things that were on my list of like possible <laughs> like because because good god almighty you know like that yeah that ain't right i was like, right i mean i right. i jumped i think oh my god <laughs> You're right. and then yes. old, old candy man just keeps on going he's he's having a good time yeah He's well like, and then that freaking what up, like, girl one of, the, one of the things i love about that that moment just in terms of like the the effectiveness of him as a monster is that how he exits that room is to just like catapult oh, upwards that was great like, yeah oh that looked kind of fun actually but not the previous <laughs> not the previous but, three minutes <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it was fantastic so okay like i am so Ugh. so torn because I feel like I got to mention the obvious one, but this time around, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the personal. Okay. So, um, uh, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to glide by the word bees. Yes. Bees are worth acknowledging. Okay. But I'm going to go for the personal. The moment that stood out to me the most when I watched this the first time, and it's the scene that for some reason, still, if you were to ask me, um what's what's the moment that haunts you the most in this film i can't even quite put my finger on why and it's not going to be a jokey answer it's after he has come to her for the first time Mm -hmm. in the parking garage and she Mm -hmm. wakes up Mm -hmm. and when she wakes up she hears the screams of a traumatized mother (sighs) she is sitting in puddles of blood she opens the door and finds the freaking dog's head, the decapitated dog's head just sitting there. And then she wanders into the room where she sees that woman she had encountered. And the room is just saturated with blood as the woman is wailing over an empty crib. Oh, my God. Yeah. That ain't right. Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. And you don't even know at that point. <laughs> That the baby has not been killed. You don't know that yet. You find it out with relative, you know, swiftness in like either the next scene or a scene or two later. But I can remember vividly. Uh, I don't even remember where I saw the movie the first time, but I can remember <clears throat> experiencing that scene and being completely like, oh, my God, I don't I don't quite know what I'm watching or if I'm prepared to continue watching it. Um, that moment stood with me so much. The what the actor is doing who the wailing mother what she's doing and delivering just the 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 visceral nature of it um and then also just again just the scattlings of blood everywhere oh my god it's that ain't right it, well, it, it and, ain't right it ain't right the power of that scene again i i i was kind of discovering the the story in this mm-hmm. viewing so again all i knew was kind of serial killer-esque figure the candy man so that's really all i knew um the power to me of that sequence and it 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 runs on for a solid five minutes or so yeah is the disorientation because because mm-hmm. i felt it i was like what has happened like right. what is going on yes. where is she you know and and it all kind of decrescendos into that scene that's really heartrending when she's in the police station and oh my she's covered in blood and being asked to disrobe and it's like this is 
awful. Yeah. So no, I, I, that was when I said, if you don't touch this one, I'm, I may throw it in there. That was the one I was referencing. Yeah. yeah. That's just so. And actually, you know, like I said, I had the, I had the B scene on there, but the B is like kind of the obvious answer. Yeah. It was crazy, but apparently that was very fun for them to film. So I was like, man, I did like, like that moment that the one that I mentioned is just like, that's the one that can't get out of my head. So yeah, that's my, so that's, that's what you would have referred to as being that ain't right. That ain't, that ain't right. right. That ain't right. That ain't, that ain't right. right. My household is just like, shut up, dad. <laughs> Like, oh my, my god, gosh, you're too loud. <laughs> that song ain't right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, you just so, now, what is um, the problem? So, I want to before we bef- we don't always do this, but I'd like to before we sort of pivot into the next piece, which is probably going to be where we sort of unpack all of the things that this film has on its mind. I'd like to briefly summarize it for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> um, I think that's probably pretty relevant. So, the the film is about uh, Virginia Madsen's character Helen. Um, and her friend who are researching uh, for I couldn't tell if they were like in a graduate program or something, but they're, they're yes. trying to do a paper about urban legends and about urban mythos. And particularly, there's this urban legend in this place called Cabrini Green, which that was the real Cabrini Green that they were filming in. And it is Cabrini Green in the film. And uh, there's this mythos about this character called Candyman. Candyman has a horrendous origin story that fundamentally he was a slave uh in the 1800s and was tasked uh although i can't quite remember the specifics about why he came to to be given this task but he was tasked with painting a picture of i think the plantation owner's daughter or something but a, a, a white girl and a romance between the pair of them developed either a romance between the pair of them or he became infatuated with her when this was all found out they brutally brutally murdered him um they um you know cut cut off his hand uh they mutilated him physically um and then they covered him in honey and turned like and and set him in a place where he was just going to be like turned loose on by bees and so then that caused this mythos to arise um about this figure of Candyman who guts people groin to gullet with a hook um, but as we've already alluded to in the conversation already, in the process of uncovering this urban legend, Virginia Madsen gets attacked by a very non-supernatural being who calls himself Candyman and, uh, you know, assaults her, uh, physically assaults. It's not a, um, sexual assault, but he, he punches her in the face, like, like swells up her eye. Um, and then, uh, the police arrest him and that diffuses the Candyman myth. Literally the next scene, well, like a couple scenes later, after she's diffused the Candyman myth, the real Candyman emerges. That's Tony Todd. Um, And he emerges and he then begins to sort of obsess over Helen and continues to come to Helen, begging her to be his victim. And what he wants is he wants she and him together to recreate the Candyman mythos and to resurrect it now that she has dismantled it. So what proceeds is... The people who are near and dear to her and sometimes just people who are in the way get demolished and killed and she gets blamed for it. And so she gets put to a mental hospital. She's up on murder one charges. All of those kinds of things are progressing. Um, So then, you know, I I won't spoil the ending at the moment. I'm sure we can get into it. We certainly can spoil it if it's relevant to the conversation. Uh, But that's the, the premise of Candyman for anybody who may never have seen it or be trying to figure out if you have any interest in seeing it. There it is. Um, so I don't know how we, how we want to do this. Uh, do we want to? I know we've probably all got a lot of things on our mind. Actually, just you're our guest. 
Nathan, unless you, unless you have some strong feelings, otherwise I'd like to just sort of pivot to you and just be like, Hey, like take the floor for a bit, talk about some of the things that are going on in this movie. I know you have plenty of thoughts and, uh, yeah, if, if that's okay with you, Nathan, I'd like to just sort of. Yes. Can I frame that a particular way? One, yeah, hold absolutely. up your water bottle, Jess, so that the audience. Can oh, you're so. Oh, look. Oh, what do you know? Look at there. <laughs> it's a sticker on Jess the water. Jess is currently yeah. sporting a fear of God sticker on her now, Jean. Um, <laughs> if that's what that is. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> how? Um, well, I do want you to run with it. How I would sort of frame it is you introduced this whole concept to us in your What Scares Us, and feel free to address this right now or not at all, be fun or done with it, of I imagine the viewing of this film, this go-round, uh, 25 plus years on uh, from your initial viewing, um, might be radically different than it was <laughs> originally. And so I would just kind of be curious Feel free to frame it that way if you want, or to go a completely different direction. Yeah. That's what came to mind. Absolutely. And um, I'll probably get pretty serious if that's all right By with all you means. guys. I don't want to kind of. You're like, we only do comedy here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan no. only does. I try. Oh, <laughs> no, on. oh, yeah. Okay. That one I can accept. Wow. <laughs> like, on. You're on. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I watched it again ironically on mother's day (laughs) with my oldest child because she had been wanting to see it i'm like Hmm. especially since uh jordan peele Mm -hmm. is working on that new one and we've really enjoyed get out so it -hmm. was like you got to see the original you know yeah absolutely um and obviously like so watching it back when i was 18 yeah, it was just, it was a regular old horror movie. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, just don't remember anything really sticking out. Like, definitely the um, white woman, black man, that kind of narrative kind of was in my mind um, because the friend I was watching it with was uh, a white girl and she had all through high school dated one of our friends who was black. And so it was just kind of something that, you know, was always something in our minds. I mean, I feel like we were always kind of having race conversations because we were kind of in a group like that um but now at 43 watching it like two weeks ago it was kind of like holy cow like he was lynched in a way that probably could have happened exactly like that Mm -hmm. and that's just kind of the true heart like i can't not immediately go there and then you know, the second thing is just that Cabrini Green is such a prominent part of that. And I was struggling in that I was like, is this exploitative? Right. Is this movie? Right. Like, I, and I appreciate, I, I actually listened to your child's play episode recently mm-hmm. and you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, it's 1988. Like, you can't forget, you were talking about that voodoo scene and you were like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and so I'm like, this is 1992. Like, I, I, I don't know how to feel with like how I felt like some of the characters were being portrayed yeah. and just um, Cabrini Green just being so like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just I definitely um, struggled for a while. And I can keep going with this because I, I did. I mean, I'm glad I had a couple weeks because at first I was like, man, I don't know about this. Until I started doing some research. And the one thing that really uh, Bernard Rose, the the director, Mm -hmm. 
one of the things, and I think it was in a British newspaper, I think it was the Independent, he had said one of the reasons he wanted to change Clive Barker's original story, right. which was, you know, more class based. Mm-hmm. It was. And yeah. Liverpool, he had said he's like, these people are just like, they're terrified to even drive by the place. Like mm-hmm. he was like, I just hear such fear about this public housing project Mm. like he kind of it sounded like from this expert excerpt i read that he kind of wanted to expose some of the hyped up like fear of public housing which i mean who wants to talk about public housing policy like and i'm saying because i do i enjoy it me me. because i'm like (laughs) run wherever you want (laughs) (laughs) Um, so with that said, like, that's all the stuff where I was like, I want to know more about who this director is. Like, why did he make these changes? And like, I just wanted to know that it was handled properly. Well, you know, what's funny. So, um, I'll just, I'll just throw a little thing on there. I have a, um, my, I I own this uh, in a couple of different ways, but I, I I have a the Screen Factory Blu-ray edition of it that has like some new interviews in it. And there was one there was one small little interview on it that Tony Todd had done um, that did ping my interest, and it was done recently. I think the interview was recorded like within the last couple of years or few years. And he specifically says he says, and, and I don't want to quote it verbatim because I just heard it once and it pinged in my mind. He he said, I'll say in summary, he said. I don't, I can't speak to all of the ways in which this film is problematic or does these, you know, different things successfully or not. He said, but I can speak to the fact that Bernard Rose was very intentional and I have no question that he was trying very hard to do right by this. Um, so, and that's again, that's just coming yeah. from Tony Todd in the interview. I'm, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he's basically saying like he met with the NAACP. Yeah. He yeah. was, he was very interested in making sure that. <clears throat> They were not, you know, perpetuating certain things. But then when it was released, and I think it's worth noting that 1992 was the year of the L.A. riots and mm-hmm. Rodney King, all that kind of stuff. Mm, so, I did not put that together. And so, you know, and so the film itself was obviously in development much well before that, you know, but that that's the sort of climate shortly thereafter into which it is released. Um, and I can't remember the exact date that it was released. It might've been like while it was all going on, but it was definitely the same year. And, um, and so there was a lot of response to it of its, of its problematic nature, its disappointing nature. What is it doing to stereotypes? Um, the NAACP's position was basically from, from the limited research I've done, the NAACP's position was fundamentally, why can't a black man be a horror character like it's it seems like to exclude that from plausibility but there were some concerns of like this is taking a a, a black character and making them a, mon- a a monster and a killer you know like how can that not be problematic so there's a lot of tension there plus the the fact that you know his, his relationship with helen in the film has the the interracial components that at the time were very you know, volcanic and, and, uh, and again, the way that I've heard it expressed in horror noir and in uh, several other small little pieces is Candyman sits in this very odd sort of place where it is simultaneously progressive and problematic, um, mm. where, um, and I believe it was actually Jordan Peele, who again is making the remake, uh, producing the remake. I don't think he's yeah, directed. Neo DaCosta directed it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, 
Jordan Peele had actually, I think, is the one who said that quote that it that it was uh, again. I can't remember because it's been a while since I've seen horror noir, but that it 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 fits both of those categories. It does perpetuate some things that we need to try to push the conversation away from, and simultaneously pushes the conversation forward on some things in perhaps some some interesting and 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 maybe productive ways. So um so yeah, it's it's a fascinating film yeah. in that regard. Well, it's interesting yeah. to hear you articulate it that way, Reed, because and one not to divulge on this path too long but if you haven't go watch the trailer for the new candy man it's it's oh my gosh uh, i mean just yeah. the trailer alone is nightmarish um but it looks yeah. fantastic so that's Say exciting. My name. <clears throat> that's Ooh. great that's oh, great i know that's great Isn't usage it? Awesome. of that yeah, um awesome. well and i think what's interesting about that is that dichotomy of progressive po- problematic because the character sits not just as this otherized black-skinned monster but also as this i mean they very much play that character as this romantic type of archetype as well and so that's very it is fascinating it's fascinating watching it and and this is what i meant earlier when reed you asked my sort of hot take on on just watching it was um one not knowing any of this before I started it, you see Clyde Barker's name at the top. I know Philip Glass's material enough. And I was like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm already on board and we're only two seconds in. Uh, and so then as the film itself progresses and there's, it's, it's not easily pocketed some specific spot. There's a lot right. of elements to it. Jess, I feel like I cut you off a minute ago. Was there something specific you want to add there? Gosh, no, I think the only thing I was going to add that, and I don't know how much we'll talk about the newer version since it's not out, but no. yeah. the director, Nia DaCosta, mm-hmm. I love just reading some of her stuff, like, and kind of saying what you're both saying that there's kind of this admission across the board that there is, it, it broke open this new, you know, him being this black villain. And that mm-hmm. was really cool and something new in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was also, and I think the one, thing that was named that um i forget his name i wrote it down somewhere but it was one director at the time in 1992 who was very against it Mm. and his one of his biggest problems was that you know when jake is telling the story in that bathroom that i rest before they had named Candyman as castrating that young boy that was the crime Mm -hmm, and he was just like of all the things you could have had him do to have a black character castrate another one like that just you know and that's where it's like i just feel like i need more research but i do love this nina was saying you know that in this new version there's just this sense of kind of taking the ownership and she said that it's just time for this black story to be told by black people yeah. and so yeah. i just i'm yeah. really just looking forward to what this new this new one will um well and what spiritual yeah. sequel whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, that right. means i'm glad yeah. it's, you know it's not a total remake no, right exactly. and yeah. and leaning in on that a little bit you know i think reed and i often on the show will try to extend heaps of grace towards towards good faith intention of conscientiousness and i think i do think that's what is offered across the board towards the 92 candy man it's like there's a lot of really interesting strong choices happening here that are also maybe mired in some 
mm-hmm. problematic choices. You know, even even for myself watching it, I was like, how do I feel? Spoiler alert for the end. How do I feel that like Helen yeah. usurps the role? You know, right. kind of kind of becomes that white savior character that the movie sort of dodges and on writ large until that very end like it's mm-hmm. it is a I'll, I'll frame it this way it's a kind of cool narrative choice like oh didn't see that coming um yeah. at the same time i'm like how do i how do i a white man who's learned a lot in the last you know five to ten years uh how do why is this pinging for me that there's this parade of black people coming to the white woman's funeral which mm-hmm. in the context of this movie is really cool and really powerful <laughs> and positive right. the meta narrative is where you're like huh what do I think about this? Mm. Um, I kind of want, you know, maybe I'll, I'll push us through the mouth of the art piece here. Um, and Isn't then great. I don't oh, want to do, uh, I don't want to just what you're awesome. saying, but that, that <laughs> yeah. shot. Yes. Good God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She claw, terrifying. Claws yeah. It's very affecting. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no need to apologize. Um, and, and, and we can spend a few minutes with this if we want. And then, you know, read if you have some thematic questions or or, sure. or not, we can go there too. So I feel like uh, the, I'll start with the question that's going to be very reductive and simplistic. Um, and then I'll try to unpack it because we try to ask these occasionally really big questions and then we're all left staring at each other, uh, <laughs> which doesn't make for great radio. Um, but the, the question in its simplest form that maybe begs a lot is is what changed for you and 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 the goal is personal here because what i mean by that i think about movies like mississippi burning uh and that's the only real tactile one that comes to mind but movies that younger me how i would articulate less maybe wise me would have watched and thought was this just sort of interesting token of a story uh, that current me at least has a radically different feel for. And so Jess, you referenced this earlier when like, like the heat in the room went up watching this movie when the older academic is outlining the Candyman myth. And I was like, mm-hmm. Holy cow. Yeah. This just got real, real just cause I didn't know. I didn't know that was part of the, the mythology. Right. Right. And so, so for me, suddenly what 21 year old me would have been like, Oh, Candyman, that's a cool. Scary movie. 41 year old me is like, wow, this is, for and i do think there was some intentionality here but whether intentional or accidental they've just hit a vein of a thing that is not just an isolated micro incident used to tell a scary story and and so i'll try to answer my own question here so 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 what changed what what for me personal evolution got me to a place where I can be arrested by that. And in a very reductive sense, a lot of it is the work that I reference a lot of EJI and, and Brian <laughs> Stevenson. And, and, and there were voices that I was already beginning to open myself up to in the last decade. Uh, but, and, and I'll be doggone if I, I it might've been an NPR interview. 
uh, but I even recently saw in a Facebook memories thing where I first read it, I think in 17, 2017. And so something along the era registered for me of this being worth a read. And I don't know if y'all are like this and Enneagrams and Benvoke, we're just hitting all the buttons here, but as my, I don't know if this is a four thing or what, but I, I can read something and that thing that I read can impact me for sure. But I, I, the, the personal here is, uh, and, and not everyone can do this. And I understand that. But when I visited the EJI center for my birthday of like two or three years ago, <laughs> what'd you do for your birthday, Nathan? Oh, just some self-flagellation. It was great. Um, I went and visited the space and there was something about the sensory element I can be a dramatic person. This is not me dramatizing the moment standing in that room and just weeping at kind of the comprehension for a shame, what felt ashamedly, like maybe the first time. And so when I hear a story like this academic in the movie tells, I have in my home right now, uh, books that are, uh, um, you might or might not know EJI releases these big, academic studies every couple of years. It's like uh, lynching in America and, and slavery in America from mass incarceration to, uh, I'm sorry, from slavery to mass incarceration. So they release these studies they've done, these academic studies. Mm-hmm. Part of those studies is just, it's, it's the equivalent of like a textbook, but there's images and photos in there. And y- y'all, like there are images of the lynchings that the white people would come to. And there are vendors there. And it is a... It is a thing. It is a spectacle. It is a sport. It is a scene and there's children. And so me of now hearing this story, those are the images that are conjured. And it's like, oh, this is not just, and I know I'm a getting older white dude. So it, 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 a lot of privilege allowed me to have this obscured for me for a long time. And I can recognize that, but this is what comes up for me. And I want to, I want to tack on this little story that may get mildly preachy and then y'all run with your, what changed for you question. Mm. We are in an American moment, uh, a year after George Floyd's death, a hundred years after Tulsa, 1921, these major milestones in which of course it's one year and a hundred years of these racial terror acts where this is very present and, 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 there are factions in our culture that want to stoke divisiveness with relation to, I'm not going to dive down this giant rabbit hole hole here, but critical race theory. I'm going to throw that out there just knowing it's a, not amongst us three, but a hand grenade. Mm. And I was talking to a peer recently and I got really sort of sad because this is a deeply beloved peer who is in pastoral work and another party. So there's me and this peer, another party who is a semi-famous Christian music person, uh, you know, Reed, I'm sure you and I jammed out to this group in our college days. And this person, um, the, the musician is making a lot of rounds right now. And, and this is the person who 20 years ago, I'd have been like, Oh, rock and roll, you know, whatever. And an interview I recently read, they were just, I'll say it very ignorantly bashing this critical race theory idea. And it was clear there was very minimal kind of knowledge and and 
actual study attached to this and it just really hurt my heart because they're basically saying like oh i get invited to marches because people say this is a gospel issue and i say this isn't a gospel issue and so no i don't go to the marches and it, it, it was really heartbreaking and so i'm having this conversation with this peer who again is in a pastoral role and and this comes up because we had had a shared interest in this musician and 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 they were like you know the friend um i don't really know enough about critical race theory i don't really want to know enough i just want to love my black friends well and i said well if you want to love your black friends well you need to know this stuff you need to at least attempt some measure of knowledge and informedness about this i don't mean specifically critical race theory though yes that is something to have some mindfulness of i just mean generally speaking to me a faith well-lived is not just well i just love the person well like it's about being able to watch a movie that outlines a slavery uh, a racial terror narrative and not being able to say oh that's just a thing used to tell a story like no this is generational trauma that a well-formed gospel message would include somehow and forgive somehow but has to have present in its picture in order for it to be an accurate faithful picture sorry didn't mean to go quite that far but uh <laughs> what changed no what changed for either of you if anything Gosh. <laughs> Just that kind of preamble well you know i talked a little bit about how i grew up well and i grew up in suburban philadelphia so i think did you don't mind. I mean, you grew up in the South, right, Nathan? Oh, yeah. Georgia. And how about you, Ray? Did you grow up yeah, in the South? North too? Carolina. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. So it is just interesting. So, I mean, some of the pivotal things that changed for me is, I mean, I, I had said before, like, I had a Black friend for sure. And I say a friend because I went to a Christian school that was like 20 people a class, you know, so minorities were few and far between but i was good friends with this guy and you know he dated my friend for most of high school and it was always interesting to even though we're in suburban philadelphia and we would all be like you know it's 1990s like come on like love see no color cross color like we we're into all that but like it was very conservative school and um they were treated differently i mean it was there was always teachers like hey you guys you're getting too close like during lunch and, oh wow you know um, so it was just yeah. that was kind of always something in the background that we are all very aware of and yeah. um but at the same time during, like all the malcolm x Mm -hmm. uh, apparel was very popular yep. in the nineties and you know, I have a big mouth and I like to repeat things I hear. And I remember once saying something like to this guy, like, uh, you know, Malcolm X was racist. Like he hated white people mm -hmm. and, you know, like knowing nothing. And he literally, I mean, we're like 15 years old and he was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, and like, I can still feel the temperature of that room because i was just like sure. you're right like i you know i didn't say that i mean i'm sure, sure it was an idiot but he was like why don't you get a couple of books and like read something and <laughs> that summer i've read roots oh, and wow. it oh, wow. like yeah. holy cow like um so I, I feel like that was the very first and i do i just feel like the holy spirit like because there was something about that book where i was just like this is like, you know, it's like you knew slavery existed as a kid, but like mm -hmm. just to read a story like that, 
And then I just feel like things, you know, just kind of kept happening. And then moving from suburban Philadelphia to um, Charlotte, which it feels weird. I don't feel like Charlotte has an inner city, but I came and moved down to Charlotte when I was 22 to work with Habitat for Humanity and um, just lived in different spaces and now working in different spaces and um, just meeting and working with Black women mainly and men who were just amazing. And it was just like, I didn't really have any negative opinions, but I just didn't know people. I just didn't, was not in their sure. lives. They were sure. not in mine. Like it was just a totally new, and it was just like, oh, okay, you're people. Like we're, we're all yeah. people. And it was, that was changing. But I do have to say, I had one experience where I um, got into a truck wreck. That was totally my fault. Driving mm. a construction truck. And it was a dump truck hit us. I pulled out from completely my fault, but the man that got out of the truck was an older black man. And this was in Charlotte and he was hysterically crying. He had hit our truck and I had hit my head and I was kind of disoriented, but like, you know, I'm like, it wasn't your fault. Like it wasn't your fault. And again, I just felt like what's, what, why is he so hysterical? And it, it like mm-hmm. had me so unnerved. And this one of the, listen to me, I'm like one of the grown ups. like I'm 20 years old, but somebody who was older than me, who grew up in Hickory, he kind of took me aside. He's like, listen, like you don't understand. Like he grew up in a different time. He just hit two white girls. Oh, like he's Lord. scared. Oh. And I, like, I still, I can kind of get like choked up because like, I mean, his terror was palatable, Wow! you know, and this is like 1997 sure. in Charlotte right. and um, right, right. I, that has stuck with me forever. And then reading uh, burn my heart at wounded knee. I mean, that's about the yeah. native American experience. Yes. Trail of tears. Right. That was, again, it was kind of like um, a history that was like, how, how did, like I never learned this and I don't even know if I articulated it at the time and I read it because I had heard that Rich Mullins had read it and it had affected him deeply and I had so much respect for him mm-hmm. and he was kind of like my my hero at that time and yeah I just it like history like kind of I was like any chance I got and someone kind of was like here's some real history or here's some stories like any opportunity to kind of learn sure. these stories. I was like, please, like I like to talk, but I need to just shut up and take it in sure, and just let it do its work. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I understand. Um, it's man. It's interesting. It's, it's difficult for me to track specific landmarks of like what changed and my answer Probably to a poorly qu- worded question. I'm sorry. But no, no, no. I'm not I'm I'm certainly not critiquing the question. I just mean that I do not have landmarks of um sort of big sweeping shifts sure. or big pushes forward. It feels like a lot of erosion yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. And uh I believe erosion of like maybe sort of scales falling off the eyes kind of things, but not just like this big, Oh, the lights came on one day. It was, it's more of just like, Oh no, I've, bec- I've come into a sense of a little bit more awareness over time, but I did have a moment 
one of the more pivotal moments for me of where I registered the differences of that that I was previously maybe patted myself on the back for you know not ever treating anybody as any inferior or anything like that and maybe some situations where I might have felt you know sort of proud of sort uh, you know of of just being read in the moment as opposed to you know actively participating in um you know somebody else's further oppression but there was this moment um in my wedding at the the wedding rehearsal specifically um i have i have a friend who um is just my friend and uh but he's he's a black man and even as i say that and as i describe him as that this story will make sense in a second for how complicated it gets because at the wedding rehearsal uh dinner the wedding rehearsal dinner a member of my family, a lot of my family had come out for the wedding, and uh, a member of my family began to tell a funny anecdotal story. I won't share the story here because it's not relevant. Um, but in the anecdotal story, it involved uh, a person who was black. And for some reason in that moment, I do not know why, but for some reason in that moment, as my family member was sharing the story and they continually repeated the phrase, this black man. And that's what they, and it wasn't even a story that was, you know, negative reflecting against this person in the anecdote, but it was that specific phrase, this black man. And for some reason, sitting there and looking over at my groomsman, who, you know, was probably the only person of different colored skin at my entire wedding party, which I have my own complicated feelings about, but. Hearing those words repeated so often, I remember a slight sea change in looking over and going, oh my God, like, how is this landing? I don't, I don't know how this, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I utterly don't know what to do. Um, and I remember that, you know, that it was my, it was the night before my wedding. I had other things on my mind. So um, I remember though, like registering that. And then as time progressed, I remember I've made an active decision and I don't know if it's a good one or a bad one. I honestly don't know, but I've made an active decision to say, I want to, I want to try to uh, describe, see and understand people beyond their physical attributions. And, that's a personal journey that I'm going on that I would say probably is not exclusive to the, the critical race theory conversation or specific to black, white. I referenced earlier Asian American, uh, the, the book that I had read by Kathy Park Hong. And so I think I'm on a journey right now in terms of what changed and how I register it when I see a film or when I read a book or something like that is anytime that the individual is reduced to their physical attribution or specifically reduced to a singular physical attribution, like the color of their skin. It, it, it pings something in me as, uh, as dehumanizing. I don't even know because I don't have the maturity and I have the exclusively white experience to try to understand if that's a healthy perspective or if it's not. The dialogue that I've shared with my trusted friends, um, particularly when issues of race arise, has been, um, I remember I point blank asked somebody one time, another friend of mine, and I point blank asked them, I said, I don't know if I'm saying this right or not. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, if, if, if the moment I say something 
if I'm just <laughs> shattering a fence and raining down uh, dehumanization like rain? I don't know because my experience is so exclusively white. It's so exclusively my bubble. I have no, I have no other eyes to see out of. And um, my approach to that is recognizing I have no other eyes to see out of, but I am only one pair of eyes in an absolute multitude of billions and billions of other people. And those are just the ones alive now. And so uh, when I shared this with my friend, my friend said back, this was just their perspective, but my friend said back to me, they said that right there. That, and again, this was just a conversation between me and my friend. But my friend said back to me, said that right there, your acknowledgement of the insulation of your experience, that sure. is yep. half the battle. The, acknowledge, the acknowledgement that you know that you speak from a place that is your experience and that you speak from a place that because of that perhaps carries some privilege and luxury that other people do not have to, that, that other people cannot enjoy. Um, I'm a man. I am, you know, so there's that other conversation about gender politics and, and all that goes into that. White man, middle class, all of these kinds of things, they they cloud and fog my experience and they cloud and fog my understanding. So I don't always know how to get it right. And the one takeaway that I have in something like this is I wish, I wish to God, and I, I say this about different sort of identity politics issues when they come to light. I wish that phobic was not, and, and we're talking about a horror film, Candyman. And I wish that phobic were not the only thing people go to when people talk about homophobic or transphobic or when they talk about it. I do wish that phobic was not the word because there's not a lot about which I am afraid of entering that subject except of my own ignorance. <laughs> what I am afraid of is the things I don't know because it is my core intention to be affirming supportive loving um caring that is that is that is the person i mean to be to keep quoting the dolly chug book that i that i read some time ago that's the person i mean to be um but the the things that i don't know keep getting in my way and they keep stopping me from really effectively sort of doing this and that fills me with a tremendous amount of fear and so what can typically happen to me sorry feeling myself ramp up a little bit but what what can typically happen to me is I can suddenly take a conversation where I probably should be listening and just make it all about me and just make it all about, you know, like, oh, man, don't don't we white people suck? Well, I'm trying this and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And and a lot of times we can jump in in some of the most awkward and weird ways. Um, I think the other thing that really sucks about it. And I kind of feel this way about the Candyman conversation, about the conversation of, is it progressive? Is it problematic? <laughs> what is it? I have to be okay that I'm not invited to certain conversations. And it took me a while to get there. You asked what changed. Like, it took me a while to get to the fact that there's some, there's some conversations I don't, I'm not invited to. Uh, because that element of it, like getting into the specifics about it, um, <laughs> It would not offend me 
if nuclear physicists did not invite me to their theoretical luncheon. <laughs> that would not offend me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know anything about nuclear physics. I don't, you know, I don't understand. You just wanted a theoretical luncheon. Is it a luncheon or is it not a luncheon? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, you know, exactly. Right. I mean, who knows? You know, am I here? They think, therefore I am. I don't, I, what is happening right now? You know, quantum. Am I you? Know, are you me? <laughs> so it would not offend me to not be, because I don't have the education. I don't know. But for some reason, you get excluded or you get sort of discounted from conversations about racial experiences. Don't, don't, don't cut me out of the conversation. My friend, do you have what experience do you bring to the table? And there is a common shared humanity that I do think we can find connecting points with. But the reality is I have to recognize there are some conversations I'm not invited to because I don't understand the framework in which the conversation is taking place. And what I mean by that in, in general sense is I have to recognize and understand, and maybe the term would be check your privilege. Okay, I'll accept that. Maybe the term would be any number of other things, but I just, I have to, I have to just recognize like, yeah, there are some conversations I'm not going to. Can I push just, back on one thing? Yeah, please, by all means. Just, yeah. and I might not be understanding sure. exactly what you mean. But sure. I completely under I am understanding the idea of not being invited to a conversation in which you're speaking or mm. you're leading the conversation. Yeah. But I do feel like part of being white is that we've been like, I don't want to be a part of the conversation. And well, you can mm-hmm. opt out mm-hmm. and you can just act like that's happening over there, but it's really not affecting my day to day. And that's my only fear when I sure. hear white people saying, you know, especially when it is with a good heart, like I hear sure. no, your I good it. heart that it's like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't want to do any further damage. I don't want to offend. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say these things, but I think it's that we're going to screw up mm-hmm. and we're going to say things but like we have just got to keep saying, <laughs> I think I screwed up. Like and right. just, yeah. um, just entering in as terrifying as it may yeah. be. I don't know, but I don't know if that's what you were saying. So no, that it was, was it my was, only thing. No, it. Uh, so I agree with what you've just said, and I don't think I articulated it well to to not caveat for that because yeah, I do agree that um, opting out of listening to the conversation is not really an option like you you need to listen to it i i guess i need to be well you know putting putting that sort of asterisk on it that uh there may be some conversations where i'm not invited to instruct and that i'm not invited to um you know to to speak yes that um but i also agree with you that it's like sometimes and that is another danger is that sometimes people will say well i'm just not gonna I'm just not going to participate. And I do think those are kind of different things. And I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, not participating is, is more dangerous than participating and getting it wrong and stumbling your way through it. Um, but I think a lot of times what will happen, I'll give this example that um, if somebody gets flustered or their hackles arise at a conversation about uh, racial injustice and they are offended or upended by something that somebody says. And 
I guess I just cringe. I'll cut right to the to the heart of this matter. I just cringe whenever I see white people instructing black people or Asian people about what their experience should be. I oh, I, sure. I cringe yeah, yeah. terribly. And when they try to nuance certain things, I mean, where do we think all lives matter came from? You know, it's like <laughs> when when we try to when we try to push back and be like, eh, nah, nah, nah. now hold on. <laughs> you know, like right. you know, really, really, let me tell you how it's supposed to be. And so to better, to hopefully better clarify the position I'm coming from, be like, mm, sit down, <laughs> like <laughs> just, just take a seat because you're not in a position to instruct here. You're not in a position well, to speak here. And I, I reference some version of this occasionally, but you know, my wife gets onto me in a loving way of the heavy things I'll read sometimes, but Jess, I hear you reference, Hey, I read roots at 16 and part of me is envious that that journey started so early for you. And which is funny because if any, if anything, I was just neutral and just ignorant and, and unintentionally opted out to use that language. Mm, Um, that now, uh, you know, I can't chart exactly, but five, six, seven years in my, my early to mid thirties on recognizing, opting in, listening, reading a lot, uh, actively and intentionally reading things that are challenging and hard and heavy and, um, using those as formative for my own comprehension. Cause it's yeah. not uh, uh, recognizing as dumb as it sounds. It's not about me. And so it's about learning. It's about, you know, I think what struck me as so disheartening in the peer story I referenced earlier is I do look back and think a lot of the church experience of my young years was really just shoring up my comfort and whiteness. It would not have said that, but, and why I could say, Today, I do think there is an inappropriateness to not round yourself out in terms of uh, why I think it's too reductive and too easy and too, uh, strong word, unfaithful to just say, oh, I'm just going to love my black friends well. It's like, well, <laughs> it's a lot bigger picture than than just that and and again that's maybe unfair um, can i say can i yeah. can i make one little point right sure. there is yeah. that a lot of times when people say that what they mean is i'm just going to be kind and i'm just going to treat you know like and so they make a presumption that they know how to love well sure i don't know how to yes. love well yeah no i don't that's know great. i don't i don't know how to love That'll well preach. i don't yes. i don't know we how make to presumptions love my, of our capacity right. to love well and yes. and i think that's what i'm articulating for myself is i was loving very poorly yeah. And I didn't understand that uh, yeah. for a very long time. You know, uh, we can move on. Uh, one last little anecdote here is simply, I remember watching the film Whale Rider. And Reed, I'm sure you've heard the story before, but the film yeah. Whale Rider had about age 22 or so. And it, I don't even like love the film. Like it's not one I would say, oh, you have to go watch this movie. But it had an impact on me because being having been... Uh, formed in the the southern baptist southern american white church i watched that movie which is about a maori young woman coming into her own tribal position in her in her tribe 
uh, maybe even as chief, I can't recall, uh, and was very moved and really challenged at the fact that I was moved because, <laughs> because I knew intuitively, and maybe this is one of those roots moments for me, I knew intuitively that this doesn't look anything like me. And Jesus, I think, is still extremely okay and happy and glory, glorified in this, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. And that was very, that was a, that was one of those small erosive, erosive moments, as you use that word, read of recognizing, hmm, I think God is found in places that don't look like me. And that's right. totally great and fine and okay. And my job is not to bottle God and label it a thing that does look like me. It is to see God present in those places that don't look like me and be able to name it and point to it and call it good because it is what Jesus calls us to do. Yeah. Anyway, I think, I, I think it cannot be, we it's, it's fair to say, and the, and the film obvious for obvious reasons, it's fair to say why we went here, but, there's a couple of things I think in the root of the film. We've already talked for a long time, so I'm not going to belabor a lot of these things, but there's a couple of things in the root of the film that I think are worth sort of observing maybe as add-ons to this conversation. Sure. You just talked about, you know, um, the naming a thing and, and it keeps pinging, you know, that's like, that's how you summon Candyman. Hmm. Yeah. How you summon Candyman is hmm. you look in the mirror and say his name. And there is something that I don't and even have. in this. you up the butt. Um, but but there's something um in that metaphor you know maybe maybe i should have led with this but there's something in that metaphor you look in the mirror at yourself and you say his name Mm. and i think there is something perhaps metaphorically confrontational about you know uh, citing the name of things people you know like oh my god the we're we're one year we're a little over a year after george floyd was murdered and so much of the conversation around that movement came with say their names say their names mm-hmm. remember mm-hmm. their names mm-hmm. you know like the the the, the names matter you know yep. and so as i'm wrestling with this 30 year old film now literally next year it'll be 30 years old and i'm sitting there and, and I, I just can't escape that metaphor this is this is kind of what i wrote down this metaphor of like you know whose names should we mention as we're looking in the mirror as we reflect on as we look in ourselves as we examine ourselves as we reflect upon ourselves you know what names what atrocities can we not you know to your point jess which i, I can't thank you enough for you know, I, I always worry about like coming off the wrong way, but I can't thank you enough for helping me articulate this thing is like, we can't opt out. We can't ignore the conversation. So as we're looking in on ourselves, whose names should we be saying? And of course, we're scared to do so. There's a kind of a, a power and a control thing that we, you know, in the context of this film, it obviously induces the horror. They're attracted to it. They're drawn to it because they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, but even at the end, we, we haven't talked about the ending, the very, very ending where she then sort of, as Nathan put it, usurps the role. And, and then she becomes the one where like her freaking ex-husband is all like, he says her name several times. And then that was, in that, wow. Oh my but what's funny is I didn't know that was going to happen. And I was like, huh? I, he's very clearly scripted to say her name. Sure. Like, 
Is this yeah, where we're yeah, going? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's where we're going. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. That strobe yeah. effect on the yeah. scene and everything. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, but that's that. That's what I'm wrestling with. We look in the mirror, but but speak other names. And um, there's there's something that's constantly like, the, the, the frustration I have, and I know, I know it's a bomb. It's a grenade. There's, there's a meme that I saw. Uh oh. Uh, well, God help me. I Those are always nuanced. I know. No, right. I shouldn't, God help me. I shouldn't be looking on Facebook at half past midnight anyway, but like <laughs> maybe ever. <laughs> maybe, but you know, like I do see a lot of, I do see a lot of religious thinkers just like take something like a critical race theory. And I'm not about to spend the next 15 minutes propping up any sort of thing like that i just mean like when when you put a name to something you control it and you can have you can have a certain degree of power over it um and what strikes me in this film is there is a sort of an attractive allure like the bloody mary thing but they like ooh, you know they're gonna we dare tagline on the movie poster we dare you to say his name five times you know like and and there's this feeling of like ooh, i'm gonna conjure him i'm going to control him you know but then in the context of the movie when he appears you know that no thank you <laughs> you know because that's what you that's what you've just invited and there's so much to me that's that's wrapped up about this concept of again i said before i started down this train that i don't have a nice neat little bumper sticker about it but there is something so powerfully arresting of the metaphor of looking into the mirror at ourselves and speaking other names, maybe names of, of things or philosophies or ideas or of people that we feel like we can control or that we can summon or that we can conjure. Um, and then the ways in which we are so irreversibly confronted by our absolute lack of control and our absolute lack of, of, um, manipulation and power in the situation um so i don't know i don't know if that pings anything for either of you but i just didn't want to leave the conversation about it to go ahead yeah go ahead the one thing i was thinking as you were talking is just it's there's so many like you know devastating things happening you Mm. know i mean even just his story is devastating but then i was saying like i couldn't let go of cabrini green as Mm. just a main point of this and just the true nature of evil being so subtle mm. and just, um, you know, cause you're talking about like all this like critical race theory and yeah, same thing. I'm not going to try and get right. into that, but you know, it's complicated. So it, it can just do its work because it's like, you know, people don't want to touch it. It just kind of, and, what makes me think of like Cabrini Green is like, I just, I couldn't resist looking up a little history mm. on it and just, you know, because public housing has such a checkered past in our country yeah, yeah. and just, you know, the little bit about it, just post-World War II, housing shortages everywhere. And, you know, President Truman wanted to have more public housing. So he has this bill. Well, the very conservative, and I don't mean to get like this party, this, but conservative Republicans were just classically against Hmm. government being involved in private housing across the board. So there was a group or whatever came up with, we're going to add that public housing has to be desegregated 
because then it will get the ire of the Southern wow. Democrats going. Wow. Wow. So they look like, hey, <laughs> we're going to go for desegregation. To I- so all of this mm. and it, like how complicated, how mm. complicated, like all these little like we're going to add this amendment. So at the end of the day, it was like either you vote for f- public housing that's segregated or you vote for no public housing at all is basically what it came down to. And so that 1949 Housing Act was voted in and it called for segregated housing and money from that built Cabrini Green. And I found a documentary, just did not get time to... I couldn't figure out how to watch it. I might have to talk to one of you for some technical help. Like Gum Road. What is Gum Road? What is this? But I just want to know so much more about Cabrini Green's history. Because I know they're known as one of the most dangerous public housing um, places in the country. But again, I'm just like... People lived there, like actual people with lives, you know, and I think, Nathan, you might have said something like this, like, so they got the idea for the people going through the medicine cabinets Mm -hmm. because that Mm -hmm. actually happened in 1987. Like, how terrifying. And this woman, did you read the story about the woman who was actually murdered? So Mm -hmm. she had had some um, psychological problems, but she called the police. It's 1987. She's like, there are people coming into my house through my medicine cabinet and they came and knocked on her door and like laughed. Like, it's just crazy. Cause it's, it's tragic. Like Didn't she, she had, twice? she did. Think, it's like yeah. the craziest. And it's like the people working there and it wasn't Cabrini green. It was another Chicago mm. public housing, but the, it was just like, yeah, you know, like they just blew her off and wow. she ended up, you know, like bleeding out. And um, you just kind of like stories like that. It's just kind of like something stupid, like housing policy. Like I shouldn't say stupid, but you know what I mean? Like it's right, so nuanced right, yeah. and complicated. Right. And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to touch this. But it's like, man, is that not where like the evil? I don't know. It just no, it kind of just made me think of that. Well, well two quick notes there one i did read something uh just about their intentionality behind the Anne marie character who is the uh the mother of the, the mm-hmm. baby and and how there was some intentionality around uh painting the residents there as not drug dealers this right. kind of gangster yeah. gang, gang That's cool. she's just doing the best she can right right you know? like um, in the movie, yeah very but, sympathetic character. Oh, damn it. Uh, oh, uh, you were talking about public housing and interrelated to there. And the reason this is maybe worth throwing in is you've used the phrase the nature of evil. And I was recently listening to a podcast interview on y'all might or not, might not know this. I wouldn't have without this podcast. So not patting myself on the back here about um, um, violent crime statistics trending upwards the last yeah. 18 months or so. Um, and, and so it was a conversation, a, a thoughtful conversation about what does that mean? How has that affected political climates in the past and so on and so forth. But key to it was looking at um, voting measures in the last hundred years or so when violent crime was at its peak or whatever, but, but speaking to, of voting measures generally, and what they were identifying was when the political moment 
could force an either or everyone loses. In other words, mm. to your housing moment, it's segregation or no housing. And this was the point they were making with violent crime was there have been initiatives where there should be a more nuanced possibility to voters available to voters, but because of the one might say nefarious machinations of the system that's putting forth these options, they intentionally pose it as an impossible choice. It's, well, do you want guns everywhere or guns nowhere? It's like, well, that's a really dumb question, except that's the form most of these things end up taking. Mm -hmm. Do you want segregated housing or no, or no public housing whatsoever? Okay. Well, this is not an appropriate expression of a thoughtful question. You are right. Thing, uh, right. And making people choose something that shouldn't have to be chosen anyway i'm sorry go ahead Reed. well no just, well and uh, one more add-on to that sure. is that the the issue of uh, they call it adding a poison pill to a bill that they don't want mm -hmm. to see get passed okay so so they they drop something in that they know has no chance of passing and and added on to something that they that the people will hope to pass it. So if you're a Republican, you're hoping to get something uh, and a Democrat goes in and adds a poison pill to the bill that they that, like just was articulate, like, yeah. oh, yeah. So if you vote for public housing, it has to be segregated. So then you're forever attached to that sort of thing. And and um, I do think it's uh, my biggest. I'll say this and then maybe I'll put the whole my frustration with religious thinkers and critical race theory to bed. At least for, for this conversation. Right. I was going to say, good luck um, with that one. <laughs> I think my issue is, and I would say this probably about any sort of societal philosophical idea, is that the moment that you sort of reduce it down to, well, just do this, and you sort of like uncouple it from all of those historical and political and social contrivances that stand in the way, the moment that you uncouple it, you have essentially positioned yourself as like this reductive little, it's simple. It's just right. a simple thing. Right. Just, right. Right. just love people well, right? Just right. love people right. well. And, and the point of fact is to, to the point that you're, you shared very vulnerably that friend who told you, Jess, like you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Like you, you right. have yeah. no construct to, <laughs> I think to be. That might be the most uh, thought thing that enters my brain these days when i see people talking or hear people talking like but i just don't say like you you really don't know what you're talking about <laughs> oh no you really don't and i think that's part of why you know like I'd, I'd like to just revisit maybe in um i don't know maybe as a final statement on on my on my part is just that notion of i want to remind myself that there's certain things i just don't have the education to speak into maybe that's a better way to say it than not invited to the conversation there's <laughs> certain things about which you know again if theoretical physicists are meeting i don't have anything to contribute to that conversation i i i don't know not from experience or education or anything all i have is that funny light looks cool that's all i know so there are certain things about this that i'm i just don't have enough insight to contribute to the conversation but to the point you so aptly made, Jess, that doesn't mean that I'm not that it's not utterly vital for me to listen to the conversation, that I have to be willing to receive the information I'm being given and listen with an open heart and an open mind. Um, and maybe some of that is sort of repeating. I know that the context for the movie is different, but 
Maybe something like that means repeating these names, repeating these things while we're looking at ourselves in the mirror so that maybe something changes so that maybe, you know, to the conversation that Nathan introduced in it, maybe suddenly our perspectives will shift um, over time through repetition and through taking a really honest look at ourselves. Um, then, you know, we're scared to death to do that. Um, and I think there's a tremendous amount that we don't want to know about ourselves and that we don't want to come to terms with, you know, I'm not going to send us down rabbit trails. Oh my God. The things that are, you know, pinging in my brain of like, Oh God, you just, you just, again, you just, sometimes we just have no clue what we're talking about, but we open the mouth anyway <laughs> and, and we just, we just keep going. Um, so insert open mouth, insert bees. Yeah. All them, all them Q-tips with legs. Um, so, so I don't know if I, you know, this would probably be the moment where we'd pivot to the fog meter unless anybody has anything that they, you know, had really wanted to include here. We good? We good to pivot to fog meter? <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I mean, feel, I feel good groined. is a relative word, but I feel I'm, groined I'm thankful to, to be with the, oh. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm thankful to be with the two of you in this, but then you said that, and now I'm not so sure about that either. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so the fog meter is our very specific metric patent pending, uh, that we rate these, uh, films or pieces of material that we cover, uh, that of fear and God, it's, uh, scares and it's substance. So we are talking about Bernard Rose's, uh, Candyman from 1992 based on the story by Clive Barker. I think Clive Barker was a producer on it as well. Um, on the fear measurement. This is a really, I think, 30 years on, it holds up remarkably well, and it has the power not only to startle in the traditional sense of a slasher, sort of you'll get those jumps uh, more than once, but also some pretty uh, effective disturbances and upsets in the course of the film. It, it has the potential to be a really quite a scary experience. I'm going to give this an eight for myself. Um, Jess, what would you give it for the yeah. fear measure? That, that is where I landed an eight. I was going to say an eight for fear. Awesome. Nathan, how about for you? What would you give it for fear? Having never seen it, I do think that very effective scares are present. Um, and just the, again, like I reference the, the monologue the gentleman has mid movie about the history of the character really raised the bar and that raised the the just level of my appreciation for it and i am putting this in the fear column just from the standpoint of like my god the things we've done to each other right. and sure candy man take us all out you know what i mean that kind of energy so yeah I, um i might actually go for a nine on candy um, man okay all right Say it feels a little time. strong, but I'm going with my gut. That's right. My gullet. So, my so, my groins. So, so isn't so, that what it is? Gut. No, it's groin to gullet. Groin to I mean, gullet. Wrong direction, Nathan. <laughs> going backwards. This I'm just talking mess. You know, it's like I'm hoping I'm dead by the time it gets to groin. To that point, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I just know. No, embrace oblivion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, start at the top, candy man. So. <laughs> So while you're on this roll, um, what would you? <laughs> I was gonna ask what you would give Candyman for the God meter, but uh, you might be stuck. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, as it were. Ooh, um, I'm gonna give it an eight. 
All right. Uh, Jess, what would you give it? Man, I, I, I feel like we drew the conversation out, but I don't know if it was mm. necessarily, I don't know. It's weird mm. watching it between these times. I, I got to tell you, sure. mm. yeah. you know, yeah, I get it. I just, I think I'm going to say six. Okay. Yep. I, so it's funny. I'm going to land at a seven to lead with my, my sort of measurement is, um, I do believe the film has a lot on its mind. And I think there's a lot that it stumbles into, I think is a profound conversation starter. I think if you, if you engage it the way that we do, um, I don't disagree, Jess. I think like we sort of brought a lot to it just because of, you know, sort of the nature and the subject that it was dealing with. But, um, but I do think that it has the potential to spark a lot of other conversations. Um, and so, yeah, so I give it a seven. That means that we collectively give Candyman, directed by Bernard Rose, seven and a half out of 10 on the old fog meter, um, which of course is a, is a perfectly substantive showing. But, the big question, and Jess, I'm going to go to you first, mm. is do you recommend Candyman to people? Yeah. I mean, I believe I would. It, you know, just the fact that I showed it to my child, my 18-year-old child. Did, I'm not did, a total. I feel like I have to say that. You didn't speak to that. What, what was her? Oh, of- and that's what I have to say with the scares. Because I kind of, like, as I was going, remembered stuff. She slept with her light on that night. Like it was really? pretty That's awesome. Oh, like, yeah. and she yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. every time I turned to the side, there was the mirror. So I was like, yeah, it really, it's effective. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I would say definitely. I would, and especially like, I just have to say one more time, like with the Jordan Peele one coming out mm. and Nia DaCosta, like just his um, couple of things I've read, and you had said I never saw that. I'm going to ruin it. The film noir, the yeah, documentary noir, just how like that movie just made a really big impression on him. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, that was just, and you know, so I'm just really excited about this one. So I feel like you got to see this before yeah. you would see that next one. Like just to kind of get the full, I love that moment in the trailer where they're saying the name and the woman claps to stop them. Like, uh, uh-uh. I mean, that's a great, Oh yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. that's just so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. I, I have high hopes. I should say, um, Nathan, would you recommend this, this candy man? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I mean, anything that's at least trying for something mm-hmm. in, 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 in a conversational thoughtful way. And I do think this does that again, as we've discussed, whether it, whether it lands perfectly or not is is a bit ir- immaterial to the effort which i think is laudable and and so i i do think it's a bit on the grisly side for your non-horror person but sure yeah, yeah, absolutely if someone hasn't watched it and it's and they're listening to this it's it's definitely worth it yeah absolutely um so yeah kind of in that spirit for our crowd it's an easy high recommend um if you are a non-horror acclimate then yeah it's 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 gonna it's gonna probably do a number on you (laughs) in a couple of ways what's really funny is i'm sorry to interrupt you but uh jess knows my wife and knew my wife knew that jess was gonna be on this well yeah i we had had this conversation going for a couple of weeks now about you being on and my wife cites Candyman as something she saw as a youth and that it terrified her and so I told her, I was like, Jess is going to be on the show. Isn't that fun? She's like, yeah, it's fun. I said, you want to watch Candyman with me? 
No, I don't. No. <laughs> what do you? But that what was like saying? two weeks ago. So for like three times, I should have done five for metaphor. Oh purposes. no! But so like three times leading up to it, I was like, "Hey, it, it'd be like nine o'clock. The kids are finally in bed. Like, you want to watch Candyman? Because I had not. I kept putting it off. Like, didn't you already watch that? Like, no, no. So we're about to record, <laughs> and then just two nights ago, and I watch it. Do you, you want to watch Candyman? I am not going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> leave me alone leave me alone uh, so don't uh, it to her yeah no understood understood but to you know to lots of lots and lots of other yeah. people um well jess this has been a delight having you on thank oh, you so man, much for you. finally breaking ground on Candyman with us we've finally gotten a chance to talk about this uh maybe now there's going to be a whole flood of other you know clive barker horror there's plenty out there for us to for us to lawnmower cover. man do you remember that I know. Well, that's actually that's actually Stephen King. But whoa, yes, is it? Like, oh, yeah. See, but I threw it out there. No, it's okay though because <laughs> Stephen King disavowed himself of that movie because they took an utterly creepy story and they made it into some like technological nightmarish thing. So he asked him. He asked that his name be removed from. Really? It. They removed, yeah. Well, they removed must have put Clive Barker in there. In my memory, <laughs> 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 amalgam them together. Like, I think it's Clive Barker. <laughs> that's really funny. That's really funny. But he was. Uh, you know, we could always go to the Midnight Meat Train next. You know, or maybe Raw. Head Rex, so you know, like, which in their yeah. name, you know, that yeah. just tells you everything you need Speaking to know about. Names, it. <laughs> yeah, so man, um, it's like, hmm. yeah, oh, this, this sounds like sweet, you know, Meathead Matt or whatever you call it. What? <laughs> Matt, no, the Midnight Meat oh. Train <laughs> and Raw Head Rex. I mean, so pick one, you know, <laughs> just get, pick a lane, Clive. Indeed. Um, no, sincerely, thank you again, Jess, for being on. This was this was fantastic fun. Nathan, thank you as always. Mm -hmm. um, next week, everybody. We uh, I should have said this up top. You know, we we didn't do as we said we were going to last week. We didn't do episode seven of The Witcher. We have shunted that conversation to next week where we're going to be talking about all of season one of The Witcher. So we're going to be covering seven and eight of the actual episodes and having our full thematic conversation of The Witcher next week. So if you have not caught up with that or if you already have our apologies for skipping it, but uh, we knew this conversation was going to be robust. And so that was why we went ahead and shunted that to next week. So join us next week for the conclusion of our conversation about season one of the witcher as we say on every episode the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing thank you jess thank you nathan thank, thank you listeners you. We'll see you next week the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.